Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's not wise. I mean, I know the world doesn't. I know it's a principle Ordered of the world. Live. But also, the economies of the world are all going to crumble because of it. Because they're not obeying God's principles. Besides that, look how much faith God's people would have if they were put into the position where they couldn't run to the world to borrow all the money. First of all, they would see miracles. You know why? Nobody waits on God to see a miracle. They're too quick to run back to Egypt. I know for a fact. You say, well, well how would we receive homes? The same way I received a home. And I know God is not a respecter of persons. The home I'm, I'm in right now, God gave to me because I refused to borrow money. And I believed him. And that's why I've got it. And it didn't cost me a thing. God is sovereign. I'll share, I may share that with you next time. It would take too long, this meeting, you know. Uh, let me tell you, share this verse with you, Proverbs 22 and verse 7. The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. You know, when you get, when you borrow money, you're no longer a steward of what you have. It belongs to someone else. Jesus said, if you don't renounce everything you have, you can't be my disciple. We renounce ownership. We are only stewards. But a steward who belongs to a bank is not a steward for the Lord. The borrower is servant to the lender. The rich rule over the poor. The rich, rich are running this world, folks, because they've got everybody's money. You know, the Bible says and further down in this chapter, verse 26, Be thou not one of them that striketh hands, or of them that are sureties for debt. If thou hast not wherewith to pay, why should he take away thy debt from under thee? <laughs> That's kind of curious. Well, Proverbs speaks a lot against suretyship, and, and it gets ignored a lot. But I tell you what, I would have never seen the miracles that I've seen if I would have borrowed the money instead of learning just to ask God. You know, when God gives us such awesome promises, like we just read Mark 11, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, Believe that you received them, and you shall have them. If we got a promise like that, why would we borrow money and have to pay back for years and years in bondage with interest? God forbid the Israelites interest, mortgaging, those kind of things. He forbid them. It was when they went to Babylon that they got caught back into it. It was when... Um, well, never mind, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Listen, if we can just ask God and wait on God, you think, well, well, God might not answer. Well, that's not faith. He said, believe you received them. That's not faith. 
let me tell you something else. The Bible doesn't teach borrowing to get money. It teaches giving to get money. Luke 6 and 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. Well, I've proven that many, many times. I've proven that. You can, you can make a living by giving. I mentioned that last time. You give, and God will give it back to you multiplied. Doesn't the Scripture teach it? Now, I, I shared with you that the Scripture doesn't teach going under the law, but it, it does teach multiplying your money. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says, He that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. See, people want to reap, but they don't want to sow. But the Bible teaches you got to sow. You give, and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men give unto your bosom. He said, let each man do according as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound unto you. That's awesome. All grace abound unto you, that you may have, having always all sufficiency, always all sufficiency in everything. Isn't that something? Just for giving bountifully, God will make sure that you have always all sufficiency in everything and may abound unto every good work. As it is written, he hath scattered abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness abideth forever. And he that supplies seed to the sower and bread for food shall supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the fruits of your righteousness. You see, some people... Um, don't really believe this, so they're stingy and they try to hoard up. That's not the way for God to multiply it. you got to sow it. Think about sowing that one little seed and what it brings forth. It multiplies, you see. you got to multiply it. And even if you're poor, you will have all of your needs met. I'm not talking about rich and poor the way the world sees it, but the way the kingdom sees it. You know, I mean, Jesus was rich because everywhere he went, he had his needs met. And the disciples, too, they had their needs met. They didn't have any need for the riches of the world. These were just distractions to them. They had no need for that, no love of that. But they needed their needs met wherever they went, and that happened. And it happened because they were givers, not because they were borrowers. Borrowers just keep put you deeper in debt. Giving gets you out of debt. And, of course, I'm not preaching giving to me. I'm just preaching giving, see, because I never have done that, never have, never had to, you know. But there have been times when, many times, when I saw that what I had would not meet my need. The money that I had would not cover my bills. And this happened to me so many times, uh, it's hard for me to give you an instance because it happened to me so many times that I would just take the money and go give it. And in giving it, it would come back multiplied. And I want to tell you that you think, well, if I give it, maybe it won't come back in time. Listen, God is not, I told you, God doesn't dwell in time. He answers before we call. When you ask him to do something, he's going to do it. So don't worry about it. This happened many times that I've gone out, for instance, to, to put the money in the mailbox and send it to somebody in need. And gone to the same mailbox, and it was multiplied in the same mailbox. 
Well, you say, well, we don't give in order to receive. Listen, that's that's moot. That has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. If you do give, you will receive. And that's God's promise. So what we need to do, if we want to make money, even if we don't have a lot of money, is make sure we meet the needs of the better. That's the most important thing is to meet the needs of the better, uh, meet the needs of the kingdom, you know, to, to spread the word of God, meet the needs of the kingdom. If we'll do that, God will see to our needs. I, I shared with you last time how that, that they, they stored up under Joseph in the seven years of plenty for the seven years of famine, and Joseph was Jesus. Jesus said, don't store up your treasures on earth. For moth and rust and thieves break through and steal, store up your treasures in heaven. And in Luke 12, he tells us how to do that. He said, give alms. Meet the needs of the brother. Make for yourselves persons that wax not old. And you'll have a treasure in the heavens that faileth not. Faileth not. So give. And God will give to you. Probably next time I'll share with you about how the Lord made me give my house away. He didn't make me do it. He put it in my heart to do it. And when I did that, he, he gave me the house I'm in now. And, um, you know, you, you, you can't outgive God. You just cannot do it. Uh, buying and selling, folks, is not the way of the kingdom. I mean, I know a lot of ministries that do that. But that's their big thing. They sell stuff and they buy stuff. But you see... We have a, a different economy in the kingdom. Why did God rebuke them in the days of Noah and in the days of Lot for buying and selling? They bought, they sold. They married, they gave in marriage. What was wrong with buying and selling? It's just not the kingdom. The kingdom is giving and receiving. You get, you get a reward for giving. You get none for selling. You get none for borrowing. You get a reward specifically, the Bible says, Forgiving. And the interest is much better. <laughs> he said, good measure, press down, shaken together and running over. Try God on this. I have. It works. He is faithful, consistently faithful. He is our surety. I learned many, many times like this. You just give. You meet the needs of the brethren around you. Don't worry about what you got left. Because God's never going to fail you. Never, never going to fail you. I didn't borrow any money for 32 years. From the time the Lord showed me about faith and uh, debt and how he forbid debt to his people, I didn't borrow any money happened in those years. And you know what? The Lord has never failed. I, and I never stored it up. That's the neat thing. But the Lord's never failed to make sure we had a good car and a good house and, and our needs met. He's never failed. And you would think, well, wouldn't you have to store up the money until you... No, you don't. Because God can bring it in a lump sum. He did it to us many times. Many times. Or brought the car or the vehicle or whatever, you know. When I moved here, he bought us a brand new car. When he gave us this house, he bought us a brand new car. It didn't cost us anything. Maybe I'll share that with you next time, but... You know, it's an exciting life in the wilderness. It's not the fear. You know, it's fearful to somebody that's not a believer, of course. 
But don't worry about it, folks. The non-believers aren't going out in that wilderness. I mean, they're not going to go very far in it anyway. Or many of them are going to take the mark of the beast because they don't believe that they can live out there, you see. But it's not a fearful place. It's a very joyous place. You know, because you feel the closeness of your father. You know that he's taking care of you. You know that he's watching over everything. You know, when you pray for, you know, um, poultry, cheese, and, and mayonnaise, and it comes within the next day, you know God is very specifically watching over you, you know? And we had many such things as that. Uh, I remember one time my my youngest daughter, this is this one tickled us just really. It was something. My youngest daughter was angry because my two boys went camping and they took all the chips with them. And uh, she was back there chewing on my wife's ear back in the washroom, and my wife finally just told her, says, well, you go pray to God and, and get your own. Well, she was walking out of the washroom, walking into the the den, and there came a knock on the door. And you know what she said? No, we didn't know who was at the door or anything. She said, it's here, it's here, it's here already. That's childlike faith, you know. She she'd made the four or five steps away from the washroom, into the dining room, and the knock on the door. She said, it's here already. My wife went in there and grabbed her. You know, and shushed her up, you know, and uh, the door opened, and this was a, a neighbor that lived over behind us. There's a guy that, that comes came to our Bible study at that time uh, for some years, and um, they always liked my wife's cornbread, so she had made a pan of cornbread and um, given, it, given it to this man to take home to his family. Well, he's coming back the next day with the pan, and it's... Um, it's all wrapped up in tinfoil, and he, he hands it to my wife, and my wife peels the tinfoil back, and guess what's there? <laughs> Chips. <laughs> you know, now see, this guy had to start walking two blocks from behind us. He got to our door when she had already prayed this prayer. See, God answered before, recall. He doesn't dwell in time. He's not limited to time. You can ask God for something tomorrow that if you only knew about it today, you would think it's impossible. But he doesn't. He hears it all. From the beginning of time, he's seen it all. See? And so, now this guy never knew what, what happened, you know. But, of course, and it wasn't a big thing for my little girl. My little girl was just, just tickled, but, you know, that's childlike faith. It's here. It's here already. You know? <laughs> my wife said, shut up. <laughs> Well, I tell you, that's exciting. Um, and, and God wants to do these things for us. You see, he designed the wilderness to meet our needs, to build our faith, and he's doing it through weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels, Post Office Box 23-16-16, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123.
relationship problems have you feeling stressed out when life is too much to handle use apothecary herbs emotional stress formula feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee you've waited long enough call apothecary herbs now toll free 866-229-3663 that's 866 866- 229-3663 International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3w.thepowerherbs.com about where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time? I'd like to suggest Numana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preserved or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com. N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com.
we've been studying the wilderness, you know, what's the what's the advantage, you know, what what's the purpose, you know? Um we we discovered that the first fruits of God go out into their wilderness ahead of the the greater body of Christ, so to speak. And so we've been just discovering and examining what this wilderness could mean to us in our day. And one thing we have discovered is that it is a place of faith and weakness. It's a place where we live by faith, but are weak to be our own saviors, so to speak. In other words, it's a salvation that's not by works, but by faith in the Lord. And the righteous shall live from faith. Uh, when we learn to walk by faith, we are walking in the wilderness because our methods change from that of the world to, to those of God and of Jesus Christ. I'm going to start out today in um, Isaiah 43. Some years ago, when the Lord uh, started leading me in the wilderness, he, uh, he caused my Bible to open for uh, literally a couple of months. My Bible would open up to Isaiah 43. And um, just supernaturally. It doesn't normally, it didn't do it before that, didn't do it after that. But the Lord just wanted me to get a point there. In Isaiah 43 and verse 14, Isaiah said, Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake have I sent to Babylon, and I will bring down all of them as fugitives, even the Chaldeans, in the ships of their rejoicing. This was a time when God was promising deliverance to his people who were in bondage in Babylon. Well, basically, folks, that's where God's people are. They're in bondage in Babylon. They're either got allegiances with the world, because the world is one form of Babylon, right? Uh, all nations came from Babel, and even their Babylonish religion was spread all over the earth, the false virgin birth to uh, Samaritan, Nimrod, so on and so forth. Uh, was spread all over the earth. And so God's people are very much in this day in bondage in two ways, secular Babylon and religious Babylon. And God is calling us out of their ways, their methods, their unbelief. What's acceptable to the world is not acceptable to God. Uh, he goes on in verse 15 to say, I am the Lord, your Holy One the creator of Israel, your king. Thus saith the Lord, who maketh a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters. Well, you know, God seems to be confusing um, Egypt, the Egyptian deliverance from the Babylonian deliverance here. But actually, they're both the same type, aren't they? So God's going to make a way in the sea. And as you know, the sea, uh, the Red Sea, or... Um, baptism, as Paul called it in Corinthians, he called it a baptism unto death um, in the sea and a, and a baptism uh, in the spirit, in the cloud, you know. A baptism is for the death of the old man and the life of the new man, right? So God made a path through the waters for the spiritual man, the Israelite. He didn't make a path that lasted for the, the Egyptian who was the carnal man. In that case, the baptism, of course, is for the death of the old man and the life of the new man. 
Let me read on here. He says, Who bringeth forth the chariot and horse, the army and the mighty man, they lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinct. They are quenched like a wick. Well, you know, think about it. The Egyptian represented the old man who was not to follow Israel into the wilderness. Israel wasn't to live in bondage to the old man in the wilderness. They weren't to do things with the methods of Egypt in the wilderness. And this was a type and a shadow of what we need to be in the wilderness, not ruled by the old man, not given to his principles, not walking in his methods, so to speak. So God says he brought down the, the chariot and the horse. You know, the chariot and the horse, in uh, Psalm 147, in verse 10, it says, that God delighteth not in the strength of the horse, he taketh no pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his loving kindness. So he, he likens the, the strength of the horse to the legs of a man, meaning, of course, the beast, the old fleshly beast. Uh, God didn't want to, strength, uh, to trust in the strength of the old man, the beast, right? A chariot is a, is a vessel that's, um, that's led by a beast, that's powered by a beast. And uh, the old man, the old beastly life, that life that was led by the beast, had to die in the Red Sea so that the Israelite could go into the wilderness and learn to trust in God alone and not to lean on the arm of the flesh, so to speak. But let me read on here. Uh, verse 18. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. In other words, give up thinking of things when you come into Christ the way they were when you were in the world. God's going to do everything different from the way you did things when you were in the world. Now, I grant you, the church doesn't do that. The church is, is living in the world, it's of the world, it's very Babylonish, and they haven't escaped Babylon yet. But you see, the wilderness that's coming, the woman went into the wilderness, Revelation chapter 12, the wilderness that's coming is a place that God has prepared for the church, the very worldly church who's been living in Egypt in bondage to the old man, the Egyptians. Okay? Uh, verse 19, Behold, I will do a new thing. It's, it's new because now that you are a Christian, you are expected to live according to God's principles and to walk by faith. Now shall it spring forth. Shall you not know it? I'm afraid to say that's true, that an awful lot of Christians don't know it. I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Wow, that's awesome. A way through the wilderness, rivers in the desert. And God even brought rivers out of rocks in the desert. That's awesome. God's provision is total, you know, for us who put our faith in him, right? Verse 20, the beasts of the field shall honor me and the jackals and the ostriches because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen yeah, 
the beasts represent those lost people around us. You know, um, Solomon said every man is as a beast, right? And you remember the beast that came down on the sheet in, in uh, Peter's vision in Acts, and um, God told him, um, rise and eat, Peter. And, and the Lord said, no, nothing unclean has ever entered my, my mouth, Lord. And he said, what I've made clean, don't you make unclean. Then he got the revelation that these unclean beasts were the Gentiles because he went to the Gentiles and preached the gospel and they received it. And he understood that this revelation represented them. So we're talking about lost people, the beasts of the field. The field, according to Jesus, is the world. Remember in his parables? The field is the world. You know what? The world trembled at God's people when they came out of Egypt. Remember what Rahab said about how that they heard the stories about God's miraculous deliverance of Israel out of Egypt and the, the Red Sea destruction of their enemies. They trembled before them. Uh, the people, when God's people become those people who live by faith in the wilderness, the world is going to tremble at them too. They're going to understand that these people have the favor of God. They are his chosen. And he goes on, verse 21, the people which I form for myself, that they may set forth my praise. Another verse I want to point out to you is in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 5, which is very applicable to what we're talking about. God didn't want the Israelite to live in the wilderness like Egyptians. He had to put to death the Egyptians and their beasts. And verse 5 says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed is the man that trusts in man, and that maketh the flesh his arm, whose heart departs from the Lord. You know, this is just another way of saying those people who believe in salvation by works, by man's works, by man's methods, instead of the salvation of the Lord is freely given. Cursed is the man that trusts in man. Folks, that's where a lot of Egyptian Israelites are. A lot of God's people who call themselves Christians are actually have more affinity with Egypt and the world than they do with God in the wilderness. But God's going to put a stop to that because he's going to give drink to his chosen. Not just his called, but his chosen. Many are going to die in the wilderness to come, but some are going to be Joshua's and Caleb's. Curses the man that trusts an arm, in the arm of the flesh. Verse 6, For he shall be like a heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, a salt land and not inhabited. See, some people don't get to see the wonderful provision of God in a place where man cannot provide it, because they trust in the arm of the flesh. They're like a tumbleweed, a heath, a tumbleweed in the desert. Verse 7, Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord, and whose trust the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, that spreads out its roots by the river, and shall not fear when heat cometh, but his leaf shall be green. In other words, because he continues to take in the sun, right? Continues to walk by faith. 
and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Those who walk by faith can go through a wilderness and have streams in the desert, waters in the desert, God's provision in the desert, because they don't trust the arm of the flesh. Uh, in verse 21, there's something I think is pretty applicable here, too. It says, For thus saith the Lord, Take heed to yourselves, and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. Neither carry forth a burden of your houses on the Sabbath day. Neither do you any work. Well, the Sabbath day is, of course, the day we've entered into, the seventh day of the 7,000 years is the day we've just entered into, folks. And it's a day when we've got to cease from our works, to do God's works. A curse came upon the people who continued to do their works on God's Sabbath. Well, we just entered into God's Sabbath. And a matter of fact, Jesus Christ is God's Sabbath. So whenever you've entered into Jesus Christ, you're supposed to cease from your works, whether it be the works of the law or the works of the flesh or the works of self-justification. God wants to be our Savior I'll tell you a little story. Almost 30 years ago, um, God started giving me and my wife and even my children and the people around me uh, dreams and visions and uh, prophecies concerning a ministry that we were to have in Pensacola. And, of course, it's coming to pass day by day, but... Um, we had dreams. We knew it was going to come, I don't know, six or seven years before it actually started happening. And um, let me just share a couple of these with you because I, in my experience, I remember what I told you uh, last week was that God told me he was bringing me through a wilderness so I could tell his people that he still supplied there. A wilderness is a place where... There is no provision from man, no provision from Egypt or the world or our old fleshly man where God provides. And I want to tell you that you're very close to it. No matter where you are on planet Earth, you're very close to this wilderness. All you have to do is walk by faith in those promises. That's all you have to do because your provision will come supernaturally from God and not the way of the world, which is where most of the church is. They don't get the provision, the miracles, the signs, and the wonders that God's people got in the wilderness and that they get today when they walk by faith. We have to give up. We have to be weak. The old man cannot be, we cannot be in bondage to the Egyptian in the wilderness. Okay? Well, we started getting these dreams about a ministry that God was going to raise up. I remember uh, one in particular. We had a friend named Ricky who um, had a dream that he had gone away from us for a few years and hadn't seen us in a long time. And he came back into our neighborhood and, and ran into our neighbor um, uh, next door. And the neighbor pointed Ricky over towards our house, and he looked over there, and, and here we were loading up um, a U-Haul van to move to Florida. Well, that was a strange dream, you know. And um, in the dream, uh, Ricky came over and helped us load up the van. Well, strange as it may seem, we hadn't seen Ricky. Just like his dream, we hadn't seen him in a couple of years. And suddenly he shows up, 
comes over to our neighbor's house, and um, our neighbor's name was Bruce. And Bruce said, Ricky, look over there. And he looked over, and sure enough, we had a, a U-Haul van backed up to the door, and we were loading it up. And Ricky very happily came over and helped us. You know, he was overjoyed that he had a dream that came precisely true, you know, a very literal dream that came precisely true. Another thing he saw was that I had some papers, and on the papers he said there was a, there was a word that he didn't remember. He said it started with a P, and I said to him, pension. <laughs> he said, yeah, that's the word. <laughs> well, it, actually I told people for years that, that uh, Exxon, where I worked, was going to offer me an early uh, retirement and a pension. And uh, everybody told me I was crazy up until the time it happened which is, is that time when Ricky showed up. Actually, they'd give it, it, it was a, a severance pay. I, I didn't, don't get anything till I'm, I don't know, 60 or something like that, I think. But um, I'm not quite there yet, folks. And I don't even know if Exxon will be around that long. But at any rate, um, I got a year severance, and it was handy to help me move. So, so this was uh, the kind of thing that prepared us for this, is dreams like this that I knew were true. My, another one was my wife had a dream that uh, we were moving to Florida and that there was just one road going to Florida. It was one solid road going forward. You know, this was really strange because in the time she had this dream, the interstate was broken in many places between where we live now and where we lived in Baton Rouge. The interstate was broken. We knew that when we moved, the interstate would be finished. Now, believe you me, everybody along the Gulf Coast was waiting for years for that interstate to finish. And everybody that lives down here knows what I'm talking about. They they wonder, now, what are they doing? Why are they dragging their feet? Why don't they go ahead and finish that thing? Well, it was finished just before we moved over here to Pensacola. And another dream that my wife had, she saw us walking through a house over here in Pensacola with um a, with a, a new baby. In fact, it was a, actually she was walking through the house with the baby on her hip. It was a hip-sized baby girl, old enough to, to be held on the hip, okay? So, actually, when our baby girl that God had prophesied to us, my wife was waking up one day, and, and she had had a dream. She saw a big boy and a little girl, and she was waking up, and the Lord said, Justin Joseph and Jennifer Joy, all with J's, you know? And sure enough, we thought we were going to have twins, but sure enough, she... Um, uh, Justin Joseph was born, and I told her, no, it was a big boy because the boy came first. It was a little girl because the little girl came next or last. And um, so she, I finally convinced her of that. The Lord gave her, um, uh, let's see, one, it was uh, 12 heads in a row is what finally convinced her that this was Justin Joseph. So when Jennifer Joy was born, we knew it was getting close to the time that we were to be moving over here to uh, Pensacola. And uh, when she was getting close to hip size, we knew everything was falling into place. Somehow or another, we knew it was going to happen. And my wife came to me and she said, well, David, it's almost time. Um, you think we ought to start saving our money? <laughs> I said, no, I don't. I think we're going to continue to do what the Bible tells us to do and not store up on earth, but, but um, instead just keep giving. Because obviously... There's some awesome promises in the Bible forgiven, folks. I mean, um, um, Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, give, and it will be given 
recommend giving to your bosom. Since we didn't have any money, we definitely needed that kind of a blessing to come over here and buy a house and not be in debt, because, you see, we didn't believe in debt. I hadn't been in debt since I'd come to the Lord, and the Lord showed me that it wasn't right to be in debt. So I, I, didn't, I never got in debt, and I got to see miracles. I think I shared that with you last time, so I'm not going to regress here. But um, not, not going into debt for the last 30-something years has taught me that God will do miracles for people who put their trust in Him and obey their conscience. You know, the Bible says, Owe no man anything but love. And the borrower is servant to the lender. And they shall lend, but they shall not borrow. So I stayed away from debt because I felt like God had made me a promise. And she said, are we going to save the money so we can move over there and buy a house? And I said, no, we're just going to keep on a giving. And later on, the, the thought came to me, well, Lord, do you want me to sell my house? And the Lord said, no, I want you to give the house away. You know what, folks? This is how we get miraculous provision from God. Give. It's not storing up that you get miraculous provision. It's giving that you get miraculous provision because God will multiply it to you many times. That's better than storing up. There's no multiplication there, right? But um, if you give to the needs that God points out around you, God will give to you. He will give to you freely as you give freely to others. You want to get prepared for a coming wilderness? Learn to give freely. So anyway, he told me who, who we were going to give the house to. We were going to give it to a, a couple that we knew from years back that we hadn't had any fellowship with in some time, didn't even know where they were, did a little research to find out where they were. Literally, the Lord told me I was going to give my house to this to this couple, and uh, then we found out that they, that they lived in Houston and that there was a big oil bust in Houston. The, the oil business went flat over there. And I, when I called this couple, I've come to find out they had a company house, um, and uh, it was all paid for by their company, but when they lost their job over there, they lost their house, and, uh, they, and they had a company car, too, and they lost the company car. So now they just had their little car that they did have and basically no place to go and nothing nothing to do. So God had prepared for them what um, a place to live. Okay, so when I contacted them, I told them, I said, well, they told me their situation. I said, well, hey, you come live with us. And because I already knew what the Lord had told me that I was to give it to them. But I said, you come live with us and we'll see how the Lord works this out. So they did. They came and moved in with us. And um, make a long story short, um, one day um, we were taking them out to eat. And um, what the Lord had told me, he reminded me of a dream that this, this sister had years before. She said she'd been out away from this area for a long time, and she came back, and somebody else was living in our house. And I never thought about it at the time. I thought, well, they didn't know, but just somebody... Somebody was living there, but suddenly it came into my mind that she knew who it was that was living in our house. And so we were driving along and um, down the road, and I, I said, um, Karen, that was her name, I said, Karen, um, remember that dream you had years ago about coming back to town and somebody else was living in your house, in our house? She said, yeah. I said, that someone was you, wasn't it? And she looked at me and says, uh, yeah, she didn't want to make a, a self-fulfilling.
fulfill prophecy, so she didn't obviously tell me up front, you know. And I understood that. I understand that's the way of faith, you know. And I said, well, it was you, wasn't it? She says, yeah. And I said, well, okay, then the house is yours. And, of course, they both looked at me really strange, you know. I said, yeah, I mean it. The house is yours. The Lord told me to give it to you. So this couple were were out of everything, you know, wondering where in the world they were going to live and so on and so forth, and God had prepared a place for them. They were a couple of faith, too. They had faith in the Lord. And um, I'll tell you, it's just awesome how God provided for them and he provided for us. You know, at the time I was... I was working for Exxon, and um, we actually had a had a church out there at Exxon. It was a, a fantastic church. I mean, we had people from all different religions, and um, they were coming together at the at the lunch break to share the word and to uh, pray for the sick. And we had all kinds of miracles and wondrous things happened. It was just awesome. But one day when it was getting time for us to move over to Florida here, and at the same time, Exxon did offer early retirement to company people just exactly like I had been telling all my friends there for six or seven years. He did offer early retirement, and um, and I knew I was going to take it already because God had prepared me. And all these people came to me and said, well, you said this was going to happen, you know. And I said, yeah, because the Lord told me. And um, and also uh, Ricky's dream about the the uh, pension, you see. So it was a good witness to, especially the pagans around me, because I told them it was coming and it didn't come. They wanted to get in uh, contract labor instead of company employees, which were more expensive to them with benefits and all these things, you see, so. So anyway, um, I took their early retirement, and they were sending me a lump sum. And at the same time, this is what happened. I agreed with our assembly there that God was going to give me a house, since I hadn't saved any money. Uh, God was going to give me a house and give me a car, because my car was kind of uh, in that situation where we, we were needing another one, in Florida. I agreed in faith, according to Matthew 18 and 19. You know the Bible says, if, if any two of you agree as touching anything, it shall be done by our Father in heaven. And we agreed in faith that God would do this. Now, I knew that these people weren't in any position to provide me for that, and I wouldn't have accepted it from them anyway. That's why I agreed with them. You don't agree with people that can, you know, as a matter of graft, you know, to, to force them to have pity on you and give to you. Didn't accept any money from anybody there. But... We agreed for this one week, and let me tell you, one week later from the time we agreed on that, one week later, my wife was driving down Florida Boulevard in Baton Rouge, and it was at Christmas time, and actually there was a vehicle in front of her. It was a, a big Cadillac, and she was in a Toyota. My wife and my daughter were in this Toyota. The Cadillac was coming to a stop behind some other people, and my wife was stopping. And then there was a man behind her in a big Lincoln that evidently was window shopping. And I uh, didn't see him and slammed into my wife and slammed her into the Cadillac in front. Well, you get a Toyota between a Cadillac and a Lincoln, you ain't got much of a Toyota left, you know. So 
basically, my wife was slightly injured, and my daughter was slightly injured, nothing that the Lord couldn't take care of. And um, the man, they actually had to get the jaws of life and pry the car open to get them out of the car, you know, because it was just totally crumpled. Well, the man behind her in the Lincoln, he, he runs up alongside of my wife, and he looks in the window, and he says, listen, don't worry about a thing. I'm going to take care of everything. <laughs> well, to make a long story short, um, this man was was the president of a big warehouse corporation there in Baton Rouge, and um, his uh, corporation was self-insured. They made that much money, and he had something like 100, 300, and 100 uh, insurance on his vehicle, you know, way above the norm. And uh, the man was very repentant. And I don't even think the man was a Christian, but he was very, very sorry for what he had done. And um, and so he kept contacting us over the time, over a short period of time. He kept contacting us. He said, look, he says, um, um, we're self-insured. He says, it's nothing to worry about. I'll talk to the people. It will be taken care of. You will be taken care of. You know, can you imagine running into, or having somebody like that run into you? A week after you've agreed for enough money to buy a house and to uh, buy a car. Well, to make the long story short, they very quickly replaced our Toyota with a better, newer one. And um, they put the wheels in progress to give us a, a lump sum to uh, take care of my wife and daughter and to, you know, for any, for any pain and grief that we went through. And um, lo and behold, it was astounding because the money came in from that. Now, we didn't sue anybody. We weren't planning to sue anybody, and we don't do that anyway. We don't believe in that. We believe in turning the other cheek and resisting not the evil and um, not doing such things. But anyway, the, um, the money came in from that at the same time, or at least the first installment, which was pretty big, came in from that. At the same time, the money came in from Exxon, the the, um, the year's severance pay, at the exact same time. The money came in at the exact same time. Like God had planned the whole thing, which, of course, he had. <laughs> he had planned the whole thing. And uh, so anyway, we, we knew it was time. We came over. We started. Actually, we came over a little bit early. You know how sometimes the Lord waits to see if you're going to get out there in the flesh before sometimes he answers. So we came over a little early. We started looking around. We were kind of curious, you know, and we didn't see anything. We went back home. We started crying out to the Lord, okay, Lord, we know this is the time. We know, you know, it's coming and so on and so forth. And so we, we waited, and the Lord sent us the next time. And we had, a, uh, we had a Christian realtor over here in Pensacola looking around for us. In fact, we described the house to him. Because we'd already seen it in dreams and visions and things. I'd seen the house under these great big oak trees, which is where we are right now, these big monster oaks. And um, so we tried to describe it to this man, and he was just looking all over Pensacola, you know. And finally one day, in a little bit of frustration after having sought the Lord, I uh, stopped the man and I said, look, let's, let's get your map out. So we got it his map out, we stretched it out on the hood of his car, and I said, listen, this is where the house is, right here. And I wasn't even looking where I was pointing, folks, but I stuck my finger down on this map, 
And he, and he looked at where my finger was. He says, okay, we'll go there and look. <laughs> well, I said, this is where the house is, right here. And uh, as we were looking, I told the man just exactly how much we were going to pay for the house. He said, okay. He wasn't used to this. But um, he, he drove us through this area right here where we are, where we bought. And we passed by right after the lady of this house went out and stuck the sign in the ground, literally, for sale by owner. And since this was a realtor and it was a for sale by owner, he was just driving right on by. But I had my pad and pencil out, and I wrote down the phone number. And um, uh, I want to tell you that the man had done a good job looking for the house and all that, and he was a good a Christian man and so on, and, and we actually gave him his commission. You know, even though we we paid for the house that was for sale by owner, we just gave him his commission because he was a good Christian man. He he worked for his uh, his due, and we figured we'd give it to him anyway. You know, he told us he said, "Man, I could have never found you a deal like this." Yeah. Um, we I knew what I was going to pay for the house. It was a strange situation. I told the lady, I said, "Look." I knew what I was going to pay, but I offered her a thousand less because some people like to haggle. That's what I felt to do. I offered a thousand less, and she says, "Well, I don't know." I, you know, I, and I said, "Well, I tell you what." I said, I see, "Leave the curtains," which I knew she was planning on doing anyway. So you leave the curtains, and I'll give you this much, which is the amount the Lord told me. And she said, "Okay." <laughs> so I says, "Well, praise the Lord," you know. So. You know, this lady had been witness to uh, one of her relatives runs uh, or is the pastor of a, a large uh, full gospel church here in town. And he had been witnessing to her, and a lot of people had. She was a Baptist lady. And uh, when we came here, um, she had a problem with her eyes. And um, so we just asked her, I said, Will you let us pray for you? Will you let us um, lay hands on you and pray for you for those eyes so God will heal them? And I pointed out some verses, too, and so on and so forth. And she said, well, I don't know so much about that laying on of hands stuff. I said, but she said, but uh, I would like you to pray for me. I said, okay, we'll pray for you without the laying on of hands. <laughs> so, so we prayed for her, and God healed her. And uh, she was just jubilant, you know, that, to come to find out that God would do this for her, you know? I mean, obviously her doctrine didn't really permit that kind of a, a miraculous healing. She didn't really believe in those kinds of miraculous healings. But um, but she got a miraculous healing, and she, her eyes got suddenly open to the full gospel. The thing was that um, we weren't, we, we had to move in, and she wasn't ready to move out for another week, so she lived with us for a week. So we got to share with her you know, about this, and um, we had our, our stuff all piled up on one end of the house, and we were kind of living together like that, so on and so forth, and we got to witness to her, and uh, and so finally we had the house to ourselves. But you see, God did a miracle. It was through weakness that we got this miracle. God paid for it. We didn't pay for anything. The money he gave us was enough to buy the house and to buy a new car because... Um, 
Um, our, our small car was a Toyota, and it was good for doing small jobs and stuff, but we had five kids. <laughs> so we bought a brand-new large station wagon, which which God did many miracles on that station wagon for us, you know, over the years. But the miracle was that God paid for both of these. We didn't have any money. We didn't save any money. We continued to give all of our life to any need that came our way. Whenever we saw a need, we gave to it. We didn't believe in storing up our treasures on earth. So we saved up no money in the bank. We did what Luke 12 says, which is... Um, Give alms, make for yourselves purses which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, faileth not. You see, when you store up your treasures in heaven by meeting the needs of the brethren, you can always get it back. It faileth not. I tell you, we did that for many years, many years. I had, a, I made a very good living, and I met the needs of the brethren around me whenever I saw a need. I would take care of it. By the grace of God, he put that in my heart. I read the Word day and night, and, you know, the Word gets in your heart, folks. You read the Word of God, and, and you love the Word of God, and you love to act and live on the Word of God, it'll get into you. And it won't be a burden to do things. It'll just come natural to you, because that's Jesus in you. The Word in you is Jesus in you, you see. And so we just gave to everything we saw. We didn't save up any money. We didn't borrow any money. That was out of the question for us who walked by faith was to borrow money. And even today, you know, we haven't, I haven't in over 30 years borrowed any money. But you know what? Because I give, the money's always there when I need it. It didn't matter if I needed to buy a car or what I needed to buy. If I needed to buy a house for someone else. I've bought, um, I think, three trailers for homeless people since I've been here in um, Pensacola. And if I needed the money, God would send it. And uh, as I told you uh, last time, the Lord taught me uh, never to borrow, never to tell my needs, never to take any government help, don't, don't go into business buying and selling. One of the things Ricky in his dream said, I told him when, I walked, when he walked up to me, Literally, I, I told him, I said, I'm never going to work for man again. And it was true. I, I worked for Exxon, but um, when I retired from there, I never worked for man again. Uh, everybody has to work. The Bible says if man don't work, he don't eat. So I have worked diligently for the Lord and still do. But um, I've never been a burden on people. I made sure of that and never made my needs known. But God, you know, put it in people's hearts to to uh, meet our needs when uh, we were working for him, okay? I don't believe in mooching. <laughs> we used to, we've always called it down south, mooching, okay? I don't believe in that. It's wrong. It's evil. And if you're walking by faith, God's going to support you. And, and uh, he supports those who work for him. You know, I was like the Apostle Paul in a way because in First Corinthians, Apostle Paul um, worked for a living while he ministered. And it was that way for the first part of my ministry. I worked for many years while I ministered. But by 2 Corinthians came around, it seemed very clear that Paul was receiving free will offerings from brethren so that he could continue on with his ministering and not be distracted by any work. So, so basically, um, 
basically I learned to walk by faith, and in that weakness, God was miraculous. I tell you, people don't get to see the miracles of God because they're not weak. They're always strong to go and do for themselves. It's kind of salvation by works. I think I pointed out here a week or two ago that um, the salvation is used in the Bible many different ways. The verb is sozo, and um, soteria, salvation is the noun, and sozo is used all through the Bible for all kinds of being saved. You know, for instance, uh, when Jesus healed the sick, it said they were made whole. The word there is sozo. When he healed the sick, you know, when he delivered people from demons, they were sozoed. Uh, when the disciples were in the boat and the boat was sinking, they said, Sozo, Lord, <laughs> save us, Lord. See, salvation is very, very big, folks. Jesus saved us from sin and its curse. Sin and its curse. And uh, did you know in the, in the scriptures, poverty is a curse? Unless it's a sacrificial, self-imposed poverty for the sake of others, it's a curse. How many of you know that Jesus wasn't uh, poverty-stricken? He had his needs met everywhere he went. Now, he didn't have riches the way the world likes riches, so you can trust in your riches and so that you can love the things of the world. He didn't have that. But he had his needs met wherever he went, and so did his disciples. They weren't poor. But they were poor to the world. But the Bible says, didn't God choose the poor of the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? You know why? People that are poor of the world, they can trust in God. They're rich in faith because they know God will meet their needs. And I don't care if it's a house or a car or whatever you need. If you will obey God's principles there and get out from under the world and the worldly teachings of the Babylonish church and begin to obey the principles that Jesus gave us in the New Testament, especially given to your brothers in need when you see a need, then God will make sure that you don't ever have a need. Did you hear what I said? You make sure your brother's needs are met, you know, sacrificially out of what you have, and God will make sure that you don't ever have a need. He will meet your need. He will provide your every need according to his riches and glory. And uh, Paul said that because... His needs have been met by these people, and he made that promise to them in the Lord. Well, anyway, in our weakness, I mean, we'd even lost a car, been injured, didn't have any money. In our weakness, God was made strong. And we didn't have to sell or borrow or beg or do anything of the sort. Just all, all we did was give. And I, I'm not preaching this so that you give to me, because I don't really care if you give to me. Honestly, I'm telling you the truth. I, you, the, the, I know it doesn't sound like a preacher over here, does it? Okay? But I don't really care if you give to me or not. I'm, I'm telling you, I don't trust in what men can give to me. I trust in what God can give to me. The reason we're on this broadcast is because God gave to me. And he'll continue to do it as long as he wants this broadcast on. So I'm not saying this to you to make you feel sorry for me or give to me. I want you to walk in the blessings that I have walked in. And God will do that for you if you start living according to his principles that are written in that word instead of Babylon's ideas 
And you know, uh, the second part of that money that came in from the wreck, it kind of delayed and it delayed. And you know what happened? God made an opportunity for me to give my station wagon away. The first one, the one that I had when I was in Baton Rouge, to give it away. I gave it away to a a mission that was here in town that I'd preached in quite a few times. And um, they needed some way to haul around the, the people in the mission. And one of the amazing things about that car is God blessed me with that car. I never had any problems with that car. We prayed for a car. My my youngest daughter had a vision of this car in New Orleans and um, saw the color of the car and everything. And, I, and sure enough, I couldn't find anything in Baton Rouge that I liked, and I went to New Orleans and saw the car and, and bought it. And God blessed me with that car, and I gave it to this, this minister. You know, and, and literally... I never put any spares in that car because I was trusting God to keep my tires. And the day I put the keys in the preacher's hand in my living room here, we walked outside and had a flat. I never had a flat as long as I had that car because I never had a spare. But as soon as it got out of my hand and into his, we had a flat. You know, I was just thinking, I, I mentioned uh, New Orleans there. Think about what happened there, folks. Just think about what happened. I mean, God brought a Category 5 hurricane up to that big sin city. And I'm not saying anything that hadn't happened to Pensacola over here, folks. We had Ivan over here, and it uh, destroyed a lot of this city. It didn't get me, but it destroyed a lot of this city. So I'm not saying anything. I mean, this is also a sin city. But anyway, he brought that hurricane up to that big sin city. A Category 5, he's, just as it was about to hit land, he sent in a um, a wave of dry air from the northwest that suddenly knocked that hurricane down to a Category 3. And that same gust of um, dry air pushed the hurricane to the east. You know, a Category 5, where that thing was about to hit, would have driven the waters of Lake Pontchartrain over into the city and drowned, you know, 40,000, 50,000 people because the water would have come in there so fast. Think about man's efforts to save themselves, that levee. Think about those great big monster pumps that they have in that city to pump that city out. They thought they could keep that city dry. Had a Category 5 hit that city, or even a Category 3 would have hit it head-on and not moved a little bit, it would have pumped the water over in there so fast. See, most of New Orleans is 20 foot below sea level. Some of it's more than 20 foot below sea level. And the water of, of a shallow lake like Pontchartrain would have been pushed right over in there on them. What chance did man have to save himself from one, just one, of God's natural things like a hurricane. You know, as it was, he didn't let the city escape. Even after moving the hurricane over a little bit, the levees got saturated and gave out, and the city started filling up with water. So, the, But it was slower. It's like, it was like an hour... Um, a foot an hour or something like that. 
giving people time, you know, to, to move out of the way and so on, except for the very lowest part of the city, obviously, but they weren't, they didn't get out quick enough, but, but, um, that was astounding. The mercy of God saved those people. I mean, the meteorologists who looked, and I, I mean, they, uh, they pointed it out on radar and everything that happened there, how this, this, this gust of dry air came in there and moved it. And they were amazed at it. They were totally amazed at it. They'd never seen anything like that. And I hadn't either. That was an act of God that spared them. They couldn't have saved themselves. Even with all of their efforts, all of these years, the city of New Orleans has lived um, below sea level, right there on the sea with their levees, and all the time they knew that if a major hurricane hit them, that city was going to be drowned. And so God didn't spare the city, but he spared an awful lot of people. Now, they're going to find thousands of people dead there. But I can tell you there's a lot of brethren there, too, that have been spared, just like brethren here in Pensacola were spared Ivan. When they prayed to the Lord and trusted in the Lord, they were spared. Many, many people spared over here got good testimonies, wonderful testimonies, because of the power of God and because of their faith. Now, I tell you, there were some people with faith there in New Orleans that were, no doubt, praying to God at the last moment when that hurricane suddenly dropped down and suddenly moved over. Did you know we just had a hurricane did exactly that here in Pensacola? Hurricane Dennis. And you know, I was praying the whole time. I was saying, Lord, do you want me to command that hurricane to, to back off and go the other way? And the Lord said, nope, just, just wait, just wait, just wait. And I didn't do anything. You know, the Lord in the past has, has in some cases done that with us, but I didn't do anything. And all of a sudden, when it hit the land, the Lord, I felt in my heart that the Lord wanted me to to command it to be broken up. And you know what? That's when it started breaking up, right there. It, uh, it suddenly dropped down. The strength dropped down. It started breaking up. And it, it veered a little bit to the right of uh, Pensacola. And that's, I know that there were some people over there in New Orleans that were doing the exact same thing, and God answered the exact same way. Now, Bill, he was over there in the east, so he didn't, it, it caught, he, he's over there laughing. But, uh, the thing was that I sent that hurricane out over there towards him. <laughs> no, no, God has it all planned out. He just uses our faith to bring it to pass. But we can put our trust in the living God, and nothing that man can do will save you and the things that are coming, folks. The wilderness is where you learn to walk by faith in the Lord. You learn to put your faith in him, and you give up your efforts and your power and your ability to do anything. Obviously, the, the promises of God are past tense, friends. He, he became a curse for you. He bore your curse. He healed your body. I've got a lot more miracles I'm going to share with you in the next uh, couple of weeks, probably. But he already did all this. They're all past tense. And since all these promises are past tense and, and he taught us, that when you pray, believe you have received. If you believe you have received, what can you do to bring something to pass? Nothing. See, the promises make us weak. The promises, if we really do believe them, they bring us into a position of weakness where we can't save ourselves. Now, you hear the old saying, God helps them that helps themselves. Well, that's a lie. 
The power of God is made perfect in weakness. That's what he told Paul. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul couldn't save himself in those situations that he got into. But he said, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. In his weakness, God's power was made perfect. I want to say, keep the Sabbath, folks. Don't bring a burden into God's holy city on this Sabbath. Cease from your own works, in other words. Cease from the works of man. Like God told Moses and the children of Israel, stand as still and see the salvation of the Lord. Stand still. They were all trying to figure out what to do. Here's Pharaoh's army coming up behind them. They'd have never thought about parting the Red Sea. They never would have thought about that. See, God's got ways far beyond our ways. They would have never thought about that. That's why you had to tell them, you stand still. After they stood still, it's the same for us, folks. We, sometimes we're just so, so busy running around trying to figure out a way out of this. We've been trained that way from our youth to solve our problems for ourselves, you know. And God wants us to be believers in these promises. Get your Bible out. Go diligently read it. Underline these promises, learn these promises, and start acting on them. Faith without works is dead. Start acting on it. If, you, if Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four, all things you pray and ask for, believe you received, past tense, literally, them, and you shall have them, how would you act if you believed you had received what you prayed for? How would you act? Well, I'll tell you how you'd act. You'd quit trying to bring it to pass for yourself. You'd cease from your own labors. And if you cease from your own labors on his Sabbath, you will find God's power is made perfect. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels, Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123. Thank you. 
the voice of the Christian resistance. Stay tuned. My radio broadcast, What's Right, What's Left, is coming up right now. occupation of our homeland and tonight we have a very special guest a very old friend of mine uh, pastor john weaver of the freedom ministries in fitzgerald georgia now john is an eloquent a very very learned baptist preacher and uh well he's a training a courageous is what i'm trying to say order whose youtube channel sermons reach thousands worldwide john is an astute historian of American constitutional history and a very distinguished lecturer on diverse subjects concerning the first American Revolution, the American Civil War, or as many well-read folks call it, the War of the Northern Aggression. Pastor Weaver is a native of Georgia and a graduate of Bob Jones University where he earned a Bachelor of Arts degree in Theology attended graduate school. Pastor Weber has written three books, The Christian and Civil Government, The Sovereignty of God in Civil Government, and The Biblical Truth Concerning God's Righteous Judgment. Pastor Weber has also taught Southern History and American History in conference youth camps and churches. Welcome to the program, John. Well, thank you. It's a joy to be with you, brother. It's good to have you here with us tonight. And, and boy, we have a lot to talk about tonight. And, and uh, But I want to get into, first of all, um, uh, our Bible study this week. I, the title of my message was Shiloh, the one who brings peace. And uh, we were going through the different prophecies concerning the Lord Jesus, starting with Genesis 3.15, uh, the promised seed, and then Genesis 49.10, the timing of the birth of the Lord Jesus, and then uh, as we go to Micah 5.2, and of course Matthew, we see these prophecies being fulfilled, and we finished off in Isaiah 9.6, born of the flesh, and today we're going to pick it up in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, uh, the fulfillment. And also we'll go to Luke 1, uh, 34-35, seeing the fulfillment of the born of a virgin. So 
we start here now in Isaiah 7:14. Uh, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, here, John, there are many out there, the liberal theologians are saying, well, that word uh, there for virgin, that was simply, uh, well, that was simply meaning a young woman, uh, Parthenos, simply meant a young woman. So what, what would be a great sign uh, about a, a young woman uh, conceiving? Was, was that something that didn't happen very often or what? Well, very obviously she is a virgin, and of course that's the word, the Hebrew word Omar actually means that. Uh, it's translated virgin four times in our Bible, and uh, so obviously, you know, for, for a woman just simply to have a baby, it would not necessarily be a miracle, but for a virgin to conceive and have a child, that would indeed be a miracle. Yeah, it would be a miracle, and this is where he says, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign, and behold, a virgin shall conceive. Uh, <clears throat> the liberal theologians miss something there, don't they? And then when we take, take a look at his, and shall call his name Emmanuel, and call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Uh, if we, we take a look now, if we go over to Luke chapter 1, and in Luke chapter 1, we see this fulfilled here in verses 34 and 35. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seen as I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Uh, so here now, it kind of, uh, well, it, it kind of shows you the fulfillment of that prophecy, doesn't it? Yes, sir, it does for sure. And moreover, uh, <laughs> and verse 35 clinches it because it shows that it is to be God that is doing this and not man. And so there's a, the power of the Holy Ghost shall come upon her, and uh, the power of the highest shall overshadow her. So obviously it has to be God and not man. Yeah, well, well, that's uh, that's easy for me to understand. I, I don't know why so many have such a problem with that. Well, then, uh, I want to go over to... Uh, uh, Psalm 72. Now he refers in Psalm 72, verses 10 and 11, as we go there. And the kings of Tarnus, and this concerns about presenting with gifts, present that the uh, the Messiah, the Holy Child, will be presented with gifts. And the kings of Tarsus and of the isles shall bring presents, and the kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Yea, all the kings shall fall down before him, and all nations shall serve him. Uh, for he shall deliver the needy when he crieth, and the poor also, and him he hath no helper. Uh, is there any doubts about who that's concerning? I would not think so. Uh, obviously, um, 
especially when it says, yea, all kings shall fall down before him. That's exactly why Psalm 2 admonishes the kings to kiss the son, lest he should be angry with thee and you perish in the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. And obviously, he is going to, he has the name which is above every name. And uh, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. So if we go to Matthew chapter 2, and we start, and here's what we'll do. We'll go to Matthew 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 12, and we see the fulfillment of that. I'll read a verse, you read a verse. I'll read a verse, you read a verse, so we get through 12. So we each read six verses, okay? Okay. And now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and come to worship him. And when Herod the king had heard of these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor, that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, equipped of them, inquired of them diligently, what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, Bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till he came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto them gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their country another way. All right, going back, uh, you know, here now Herod, Herod is is asking, is uh, requiring of those advisors, if you will, or supposedly his prophets. Um, where was the Messiah? Now, knowing the Messiah was the Deliverer, the Son of God, yet Herod was 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 wanting to fight with God. He was wanting to place himself at odds with God. Doesn't that sound a little like insanity? <laughs> Sounds like insanity, but the truth is men do it every day. And the truth of the matter is governments do it every day. Not just, uh, just not just men. And interestingly enough, though, if you'll notice, the Bible also says in verse three, when Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Isn't that amazing? Uh, those who were in charge in that area uh, were all upset and troubled with the birth of Christ. Well, they were a little bit. Uh upset with him too when he came into his ministry because Caiaphas said if we if we allow this the Romans will come and remove us from our place so in other words they were 
they were willing, they were ready to go against the Son of God uh, because they didn't want to rule, you know, to lose their positions of, as rulers, would they? That's exactly right. And that's, that was really Herod's point as well. He, he was king, and he was not going to put up with another king. Well, Herod was a, a ruthless type, and today I would, I would, you know, say he was kind of like some of those we have today. You know, if you were taking a look at uh, just here in, in a period of one month, there were four people uh, who were going to come forth and give testimony against Hillary Clinton and the DNC. Uh, four people that were involved in uh, investigating one of them the guy that was really doing all the leaking he was an insider of the and we you know we covered this thoroughly uh, and they all ended up at room temperature within one month four people and nobody asked any questions why all of these men were killed and it, it was because we have kind of a, a ruthless administration out there today Herod was known he killed three of his own sons and his own wife. Three, three of his own sons uh, to keep uh, from them from getting his throne. And uh, that's a cold person, isn't it? Well, the truth of the matter is tyrants have no concern for life except their own. Everyone else is expendable. Well, you're right about that. So here, you know, when he came... Uh, Micah and Micah five two seven hundred years earlier had had uh, prophesied that where he would be born that he would be born in Bethlehem, and so now when these three kings come, uh, it's an interesting thing. I had pointed this out. We had this nativity scene there in the church, and in this nativity scene they have uh, the baby Jesus in his, in his crib there in the manger and you've got three kings presenting um, gifts uh, not not exactly accurate is it and the reason I'm the reason I'm asking that is here uh, it was about two years from this time from the birth of Christ so when we read verse 9, and when he had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star, when they saw in the east, went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child. So we're not talking about an infant here. We're talking about a young child, aren't we? That's correct. And moreover, if you would look back in verse 8, he said, go and search for the young child. He said that again. And also, if you will notice... Uh, uh, the uh, uh, this verse 9 said it came and stood over where the young child was and uh, then verse 11 when they were coming to the house so he is not in a manger he's <laughs> he, he's in a house and he is a young child so there's so a, he, a big difference between an infant and a stable and a child and a house that is, that is correct that is correct and so here uh, but, but we we see this today, and the same thing too. You know, you see all of these uh, uh, paintings of the Last Supper, and and in this Last Supper, you see the Lord Jesus with with hair down past his shoulders, with his real long hair, and here 
sitting there at the table with him, uh, you see what appears to be some women because, uh, you know, men had to have beards if they were 18 or over there or 20 or over. And so these were their nice, smooth little faces. These obviously had to be women, although sometimes the way some of these portraits, other than that, you, you wouldn't be able to tell. But uh, it seems like there's this tendency to, I don't know, get it all wrong. What do you think that is? Well, you have to understand humanism. I mean, and the fact of the matter is, uh, I know you've probably heard it, but I have about a two-hour message on the historical and biblical significance of the beard in the in the Bible. And interestingly, when biblical um, perspectives are in vogue, men always have short hair and beards. And when humanism is in vogue, they're always clean-shaven with long hair. And uh, you can almost study history just by looking at hair. It's, it, it's almost uh, unbelievable, but, but it's true. And uh, uh, so it's interesting that the beard is indeed the distinguishing characteristic of a man. And, uh, of course, all of them had beards, and, uh, and that's even in Isaiah there where he said he gave his cheek to the smiters and those who plucked out his beard. So our Lord had a beard. It was not necessarily. They weren't using tweezers, I can assure you. Well, absolutely. Well, yeah, it was the custom for, for the Jewish people there to have beards. Uh, now, if you were to go to a, a, a now NOW convention, do you think maybe some of those women might have beards? I know they smoke cigars. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I can tell you, I've run into a number of them out, out, out at the abortion mill preaching out there in front of Planned Predators. And uh, I can tell you, um, boy, <laughs> there's some, some scruffy-looking gals come in there. But anyhow, uh, here... We want to take a look at uh, the children, where Scripture says children were murdered. If we if we go to Jeremiah chapter 31, and in Jeremiah chapter 31, uh, we read there, verses 14 and 15. Well, let me just go to verse 14. Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, and refused to comfort for her children, because they were not. And but these next verses here, he says this, Thus saith the Lord, Refrain thy voice from weeping, and thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord, and they shall come again from the land of the enemy. And there shall be hope in thine end, saith the Lord, and thy children shall come again to their own border. Um, isn't that really what, we're, what he's talking about, those those children there during the Millennial Kingdom? Well, one thing for sure, he's going to make sure that, in fact, you could not only talk about it like that, you could also talk about it with the fact that uh, uh, the Lord's saving his own people and and the fact that, uh, yeah, they lost some of those children there, but 
Look how many have been saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. That would be an application as well. Oh, absolutely. If you look in verse 18, where he goes on to say, I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself. Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised as a bullock on a custom yoke. Turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art my Lord. Surely after that I was turned, I repented. And after that I was instructed, I smote upon my thigh, I was ashamed, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. So obviously he's talking about individuals who do indeed experience repentance and turn back to the Lord as well. Absolutely. Well, let's go if I go back to Matthew chapter 2 and we take a look now. This prophecy in Jeremiah 31, 15. And we start in verse 13 in Matthew 2. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. Be thou there until I bring the word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when they arose, they took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. And when they and were there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of by the Lord and the prophets, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Well, if we read, in fact, over Hosea chapter 11, in verse 1, we read this. And when Israel was a child, then I loved him, and I called my son out of Egypt. And here we have, uh, of course, Israel was a name for uh, the Lord Jesus here, too. And, of course, uh, for uh, the national, uh, for God's national son of Israel. So the idea was the Lord Jesus was a substitute for God's national son, Israel, to take away their sin. And so we see that prophecy now if we go to back to... Matthew chapter uh, 2 being fulfilled and then in verse 16 then Herod when he saw that he was exceedingly mocked of the wise men was exceedingly wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men this was fulfilled which was spoken of by Jeremiah the prophet saying in Ramah was there a voice heard, lamination and weeping, and great mourning, and Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted, because they are not. Now, John, here in God's Word, the Bible, uh, we have 1,239 prophecies in the Old Testament, 578 prophecies in the New Testament. For a total of 1,817 prophecies, most of these have already been fulfilled. Exactly when, exactly where, exactly how. And the mathematical odds of, of even three of those are, from what I understand, a, a number with one and 32 uh, zeros behind it, which, from what I understand, is referred to a Googleplex. Uh, is there anything that you can even imagine to come close to that contains the knowledge, the wisdom, and is there anything that is, is anywhere near as accurate as God's Word, the King James Bible? And the answer is no, because it is indeed God's Word. 
And when you consider, like uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, all of this was prophesied 700 years before, I mean, previously. And when you get to the Proto-Evangelium, uh, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 there, that was from the very beginning. Well, that was 4,000 years before the birth of Christ, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. and so every, that, every bit of that has come true exactly as he said it would. Okay, now, now we know this. We understand this. Uh, historians understand this. <clears throat> the wisest men in the world. Uh, I have a list of, of over 100 scientists, the greatest scientists that ever existed. And every one of them, every one to the man, uh, was an ardent believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet today we're living in a society that's become simple-minded, haven't they? That's a fact. That's a fact. And we're not only living in a society that has become simple-minded, we're living in a society today that is basically un uneducated. Uh, we're living in a society that doesn't even read. <laughs> so obviously, uh, yeah, we, we've got uh, real genuine problems, and, and, and most people never, ever even read their Bible. I mean, even professing Christians. And that's the sad thing. That's why there's so much ignorance in this. And some of the men who were converted uh, uh, actually set out to disprove the Bible. And yet uh, in their studies they found out the Bible was so amazingly accurate and that uh, they could not help but to bend to it and bow to it and believe it. And uh, some of those who studied the life of the Apostle Paul and even his, his missionary journeys they thought that would be easy to disprove because of the places that were mentioned, and yet they found out that everything was just accurate as it should be, and, and right on. So, no, there's nothing that can compare to the Bible. Um, we're going to be switching up here in a minute. We're going to be going to Romans 13 and taking a look at that book. You, uh, you and I have preached on that extensively over the years. It's probably, I would say, one of the two or three most misquoted passages of all of Scripture. Um, twisted, spun, and uh, and there's a reason for that. And I know you're familiar with um, this sermon by Charles Finney. And let me read this, and then we're going to a break, and when we come back from the break, we'll pick it up there. And this is why I believe that Romans 13 is, is so totally misquoted, spun, and twisted more than any other passage. Now, here's what Charles Finney wrote in one of his sermons in 1873. It's called The Decay of Conscience. If there is a decay of conscience, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the public press lacks moral discernment, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the church is degenerate and, and worldly, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the world loses its interest in Christianity, the pulpit is responsible for it. If Satan rules in our halls of legislation, the pulpit is responsible for it. If our politics become so corrupt that the very foundations of government are ready to fall away, and like today, the pulpit is responsible for it. Well, we're coming up to a break, and when we come back, I want to uh, get your input on that before we go into Romans 13. Because yeah, I've heard these statements. Well, I'll, I'll pick it up right, right after this. So 
We'll be back right after this with more.
the Bethlehem Skies, the name of that song, and that's by the group encounter, Lisa Kish and Lisa Starling. And we have with us here a Pastor John Weaver, who has written uh, the biblical truth about God's righteous judgment, the sovereignty of God, and the civil government, and the Christian and civil government. Three dynamite books, absolutely dynamite folks. And uh, Pastor Weaver's going to tell you how you can get these here in a minute. But first, I got to tell you that uh, it's not over with. Now, John, here in Ohio, we've it took us six years, but we passed the heartbeat bill. Uh, the heartbeat bill would stop some. 95% of all baby kills. In fact, 20,000 babies a year have died because our governor, our governor, Kasich, would not let this would not let this bill become law. Well, we finally, we passed it through the House, we passed it through the Senate, we passed it through the House for the third time, and he vetoed it again. But you know, this time, John, we have enough votes, we have enough votes to override his veto. If we can get the Speaker of the House, Cliff Rosenberger, to bring it back to the floor for a vote in the House. But we need to do it right now because we're running out of time. So folks out there listening to me, I know you say, well, I've already called three times, called four times, called three more times, called five times. But call Speaker Rosenberger, 614-466-3506. And then do like I did today, call your own state representative and tell him, look, get that to the floor. Let's override the governor's veto. Let's do the right thing. What do you think, John? Yes, sir. I would put all the pressure on them I could put, as a fact. And that's what we're planning on doing. One of the, I have a friend, a good friend of mine, who's currently a state representative. <laughs> and he told me, he said, Pastor, he said, you know, the long and short of it is this. The one thing that all of us understand is pain. The more pain that you inflict, the quicker we're going to move. That's just the way it works there. And that's the way it is. And one more quick announcement, and that is... Uh, the trip to, to Washington, D.C. for the March for Life, folks, is going to be uh, January 26th, 27th, and 28th. And uh, so we have room right now on the bus. The, the rooms are filling up fast, faster than they ever have. John, I expect this to be the largest march ever on Washington, D.C. And I'm, I'm hoping Donald Trump will look out his window and see 2 million, 2 million people in the dead of winter. And uh, we have out there, uh, let me just say quickly, for three days and two nights, complete round trip, it's $300 for one person in a room. For two people sharing a room, again, it's three days, two nights, it's 185 per person. For three people in a room, it's 160 per person. And for four people, it's 140. Uh, now, uh, if you cannot go, for some reason, you'd love to go, but you can't go. There are plenty of people that would love to go, but they need a sponsor. we got four pastors that are seniors um, who are in limited, uh, limited income, who are basically, you know, they're not, not in full-time work anymore. They're part-time work, but they could use uh, a sponsor. We've got uh, several young people, high school kids, that would love to go. They could use some sponsor. And we've got, well, actually, we got six homeschooling children, six homeschooled children that would love to have a sponsor. And we've got uh, a couple senior ladies, a couple senior ladies who would love to have a sponsor. So if you want to sponsor somebody, 
just send what you know whatever you can send to help sponsor to just make it out to doers of the word church doers of the word baptist church or just doers of the word church but make sure make sure that you write on their life march make sure that if you don't write on their life march then uh, we won't know what it's for so just make it out to doers of the word church and send it to 14781 Sperry Road, Newberry, Ohio, 44065. That's 14781 Sperry Road, Newberry, Ohio, 44065. All right, I want to get back with uh, with uh, Pastor Weaver. John, uh, tell the folks, how can they get these books? These books are dynamite. Well, they can either write me or they could call our number. Uh, our address is PO Box 394. Fitzgerald, Georgia, 31750, or they could just simply call and, and give us a, a ring at the home phone, 229-423-4366, and we'd be glad to help them. All right, very good. Well, I had, before we went to the break, I read to you what Charles Finney had to say, and Charles Finney kind of laid it out. He said, look, uh, the, the people that are responsible uh, virtually, you know, for leading this country are the pastors. Those are the men that God has, has raised up. And if, if, as he said again, if there's decay of conscience, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the public press lacks moral discernment, and there is, we see that, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the church is degenerate and worldly, we say that, don't we? The pulpit is responsible for it. If the world loses interest in Christianity, and boy, has that happened, the pulpit is responsible for it. If Satan rules in our hall of legislation, and boy, is that there, the pulpit is responsible for it. And if our politics become so corrupt that the very foundation of our government is ready to fall away, well, the pulpit is responsible for it. What says John Weaver? Well, the truth of the matter is that is exactly right. God has always used the pastors as the conscience of the people and to declare his word, his law, and to declare what is right and what is wrong, to tell what sin is. In fact, you have to understand that sin is defined by God, not by man. And when he said in 1 John 3 and verse 4, sin is a transgression of the law, Obviously, you cannot sin without transgressing God's law. So, he said, whosoever committed sin transgresseth also the law. So it's up to God's men who preach that word to teach the people. And if you look and study through history, it has always been the preachers that have led, uh, even even in politics. <laughs> That's a bad thing, they, they say, but the American Revolution was led by by chaplains and by pastors. And uh, in fact, you could not even hold an office in colonial America without hearing an election sermon. And there were artillery sermons as well. And these pastors would declare to those who were going into office their duties under God in civil government. And they would also talk to the people and teach them their duties under God toward their rulers. So, yeah, uh, it doesn't matter which area you look at, it is still the pastor's responsibility. And one of our problems today is we don't have real preachers. We don't have real, real pastors. We have too many people that are 
too many preachers, I should say, that are more interested in building a big work rather than preaching the Word of God and building a big building rather than preaching the Word of God. And so obviously uh, uh, there's, there's a lot of worldly compromise that has gone on, but it all comes back down to the preachers. And I've said this before, if we want our nation back, we need to get our preachers back and let them be what they should be to the people. Well, about a month or so ago, uh, I was talking to a young Hindu woman, and uh, when when she found out I was a pastor, she said, well, I'm interested in some of what the Bible teaches in this Christianity, and I've listened to some of these pastors, and she said, uh, what do you think of Joe Olstein? And I told her, well, I said, well, Joe Osteen is not a pastor. He's not a, a man. He's not a, a man of God. He's an entertainer. He's a prosperity preacher or positive thinking. But, you know, he'll hold the Bible up, and, and that's kind of a tool. Uh, but but and he'll you know, say, this is the Word of God, but he'll never read from it. And uh, he's a prosperity preacher. He's not a real uh, pastor, and I, I don't. I doubt that he's even saved. Now, this woman was a little bit confused because, you know, she, of course, she listens to the media. Now, I remember something very clearly back in the early 60s. Uh, there was this fellow named Jürgen Moltmann, and uh, old Jürgen, uh, he hooked up uh, with this other fellow back in those days. He named Ernst Block. Ernst Block. Now Jurgen was uh, he was very prominent at the University of Tübingen. He was the head of the uh, theology department, religion department, where uh, Ernst Block was a Marxist philosopher, and they came together and they came up with something called liberation theology today. Uh, but I remember back at that time, and it was also the, the time of this what they call Enlightenment movement. Well, liberation theology, you know as well as I do, that's simply, well, it's, it's cultural Marxism. Uh, this is what Obama says, that his salvation is a collective salvation. Uh, in other words, a collective salvation is, is, you know, it's not a personal salvation with a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but their their whole idea of salvation is completely different than what the Bible teaches. Um, they have got they have tracks where they have the Lord Jesus wearing a bandana and and um, ammo gun, you know, belts uh, as a rebel and. Uh, the idea of salvation is when the Lord Jesus comes back and he transfers the wealth from uh, those that have earned it to those who Obama says deserve it. But at that same time, you had this other uh, movement, which which I saw uh, was an effeminization of the pulpit. Uh, remember when they started teaching that the pastors have to learn how to get in touch with their feminine selves? Yeah. And, and I was a little confused about that. Uh, you know, I, I didn't, uh, I, I, I didn't know any part of of me as being feminine. You know, <laughs> and I, you know so, so can can you explain that to me? You're a pretty wise fellow. <laughs> well, 
Well, I can quote scripture, Isaiah 8 and verse 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not, is because there's no light in them. <laughs> so Amen. obviously, <laughs> if they go contrary to word, they don't have any light. That's exactly what the scripture says. So uh, uh, obviously, uh, no, there's no femininity in me either, I can assure you, and uh, I don't have a feminine side. <laughs> And, well, uh, let me go to Romans 13, where we start, and, and uh, let's go with verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher power. Now, listen, see, I, I understand this next verse. I understand this very clearly. Listen, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Now, I had a pressing preacher, one of my called the, the, the Pink Bloomer Brigade Boys, and he said to me, you'll never see me out in front of an abortion mill protesting abortion as long as it's legal, because Romans 13 says we must obey the government. What does John Weaver say? <laughs> well, I would say he doesn't understand Scripture at all. He's never really even researched what the Bible says about government as well. But when the Bible says... Let every soul be subject to the higher power, for there is no power but of God. Of course, obviously, God is the highest power of all, and God is the one that ordains authorities or jurisdictions. That is why he says there is no power or jurisdiction but of God. And interestingly enough, when you think about this, and when you search the Scripture, God really only ordained three institutions. He ordained the family, which is a ministry of education, and the church, which is a ministry of grace, and the state, which would be a ministry of justice. And so when he says, let every soul be subject to the higher powers, no matter how high you are in authority, there's always someone higher than you. And that highest of all is God himself. That's why he said in Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7, Promotion cometh neither from the east, nor the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He put it down one instead of up another. And, of course, when you get to the book of Daniel, uh, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar that very plainly. So if God is the one that is instituting and ordaining authority, it's obvious that he is the supreme and sovereign, and he rules over all. So you could put it like this, that, that God reigns, by his own proper authority, and kings and governments by derivation. God reigns from himself, himself, and, and men reign uh, from God. So God has a jurisdiction proper, and all kings and all governments and all men are basically just simply his vassals. So uh, when you try to say that, uh, that government is here must be obeyed at all, what you're trying to say is that, uh, that God has uh, dethroned himself and that what God has done is resigned his throne and abdicated his position and laid aside his power and has given over his earth and his people to a handful of faultless bureaucratic hordes to do with as they please, which is absolute blasphemy. Well, and... Uh... This same individual I had a conversation with, when he said that, he said, you'll never see me out in front of the, the abortion mill. I said, you know what? Uh, I don't think I'll ever see you doing anything where it takes any courage or any intestinal fortitude. Uh, that, like a man of God, the Bible says that the righteous are as bold as lions. And uh, 
anyhow, his response was, my Bible doesn't tell me that I'm, that I'm supposed to stand against the government, but obey. I said, let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard of the prison epistles? He said, well, of course I have. I said, let me ask you this. Why are they called the prison epistles? Well, it's because they were written from the prison. I said, that's correct. Now, were the apostles in prison for obeying the government or for obeying God? And his response, John, was, you know what? You have a good point there. I've never thought of that. <laughs> wow. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Well, uh, since, since you're mentioning Romans 13, and uh, and talking about that, let me just point out a couple of words in this passage where God is talking about, uh, let's say, the civil rulers, okay? Uh, look at verse 2. Whosoever therefore resisted the power or the jurisdiction or the authority resisted the ordinance of God. Now, I can explain that, and I will explain that a little bit later. So anything that God has ordained would be his ordinance. And they that resist shall receive of themselves damnation. Now, uh, look in verse 3. He says, for rulers are not a terror to good work. So we're talking about rulers. And the word ruler here is actually archontes, which literally means uh, someone who is a chief or, or, or first ones or leaders. So nobody's going to... Uh, uh, dispute that we would say that these are our rulers or these are our leaders uh, notice however when you get down to verse 4 he says for he we're still talking about the rulers in verse 3 for he is the minister of God to thee for good now the interesting thing is he's called the minister of God and the word Minister there is actually the Greek word deaconos. It's where we get our English word deacon. And the word deacon literally means servant. So, literally, he says, for he is the deacon or the servant of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the deacon of God. And then he says, a revenger execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So, let's just think for a moment. If the ruler in verse 3 is the deacon or the minister in verse 4, and the word deacon means a servant, who must he serve? Well, obviously, you would have to go back to verse 2 and verse 1. It would be the one who ordained him and the one who set him up. Now, when you get in verse 4 again, he says he is a revenger to execute wrath upon him to do with evil. And the word revenger is ekdikos, which means one that exacts righteousness out of. So, now you have to ask this question. If the civil ruler is the deacon of God and is to obey him, and if he is the revenger, that is one who exacts righteousness... Whose righteousness is he to exact? Man's righteousness or God's righteousness? And then when you skip down to verse 6, he says, For this cause pay you tribute also for their God's ministers. Now it's a different word. It's liturgoi. It is where we get our English word liturgy. A liturgy is a public worship. Now, 
Even the Baptist Church has a liturgy. I hear people say, we don't have liturgies. Sure you do. You sing, you pray, you receive an offer, you preach. That's a liturgy. But now, here's the thing. When you talk about civil rulers, and everybody's going to admit that civil rulers are a power, that they've been ordained of God, that they are our leaders, but how many are going to go as far as God does when he says he ordained them to be his deacon, his minister, to exact his righteousness and to be his public worship? Wow. Well, let's go back to that word. Right. Let's go back to that because, again, you use that word ordain, which means to call out and set aside. Now, and and minister. Now, look, uh, if you look at all of the New Age, the versions or perversions of the Bible, they've changed this word here uh, from minister to servant. So, but now a servant, if I take a look over here, I see that Satan himself uh, is a servant. I see that the Lord uh, often will use um, even a jackass as a servant. Um, even you even use uh, the elements as servants. So when you when you change that, there's a difference because anyone could be a servant, but to be ordained a deaconess, the word minister there, uh, sure. that that has a specific meaning, doesn't it? It does. It does. But because it it, it means he is a minister of God. That is, his calling, his service is in relationship to God, which brings you to this. Government has to be a theological issue. You cannot separate government from God, for God ordained it. And I usually tell people this, about 75% of the Bible revolves around government. It's either self-government, family government, church government, or civil government, but it's still government. And, and one of the reasons everybody today is so dependent upon civil government is because they don't understand self-government and family government and church government. Civil government is just one of, of several. It is not the only government. Do we misuse that term, uh, civil disobedience? When I was out there today on the street, and of course today, uh, we didn't have any problem. But in the old days, in the pro-life movement, going back to, this, to the 1970s, uh, we, we would have our rescue operation rescues. Well, actually, that started in the 80s. But we, what we did was called smart rescue back in those days. We were referred to as civil disobedience, civil disobedience. But the reality was we were in, in civil obedience uh, because God has given us the civil government. So... Don't we see, from Genesis to Revelation, uh, resistance to tyranny is being obedience to God, uh, and, and failure to resist tyranny is always disobedience to God. Is that not right? Yeah, that is true. And when you look at Romans 13, in its context, you have to understand that the subjection and obedience that is demanded in verses 1 and 2 is based upon the rulers being what God ordained them to be in verses 3 through 6. 
So you, you, you can't just say, here's verse 1 and 2, let every soul be subject to higher power. There is no power but of God, the powers that be ordained to God. Don't resist. If you resist, you're condemned. Well, God has never, ever ordained a totalitarian or tyrannical or despotic government. That is not the government that God has ordained. And so obviously, when he's talking about uh, verses 1 and 2, it is all conditioned upon the rulers being what he ordained them to be. So in the New Age, the New Age perversions of the scripture where it says, let every soul be subject to the government. Uh, and some of them, that's what they have. They have government there instead of higher powers. Uh, so what do you say to that? Well, obviously, there, there are different powers. I mean, uh, when he says, let every soul be subject to higher powers, I mean, uh, look at it uh, like this. Even people who are on a job usually have a foreman or have a boss. Children have a mother, and a wife has a husband. I mean, it doesn't matter which way you turn, there are always higher authorities. But the highest of all is God himself. I never will forget uh, when Lester Roloff was fighting for his homes there in Corpus Christi, Texas. Hold that thought, John, right there, and we'll pick it up because we're up against a hard break. We'll be right back, right after this, with a whole lot more. We'll be right back. Don't go away. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices.
no, you didn't have to. That's by Danny Ray. If the if the preachers had done their job the way they should have, uh, if they had, uh, I'm, I'm often saying, uh, but before I finish, I want you to finish what you were saying about Lester Roloff, uh, John. Well, since we were talking about the higher powers and what most people think about uh, government, you know, and uh, being that instead of God and in his orderly way, uh, Lester Roloff uh, was fighting for his homes, the children's homes there, and his ministry. And, of course, the state of Texas wanted to, to license him. And his position was he didn't need a state's license because God had ordained him, and he had a higher calling than what the state wanted. But anyhow, when he was talking to one of the ladies, and uh, she said, uh, now, Brother Roloff said, you know the Bible says you're to be in submission to the higher powers. And Brother Roloff said... I have no problem with being in submission of higher powers. It's you lower powers that's given me fits. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I remember that. Uh, absolutely, that was uh, amazing. When we take a, a look at uh, this, you know, what they're talking about, um, first of all, you often hear people say, well, you got to learn to be able to, to separate your religion from your politics or your beliefs. First of all, Starting with Genesis, going all the way through Revelation, every prophet, every priest, every man of God, their politics and their faith were inseparable, and no one exuded that more than the Lord Jesus Christ. They were one of the same. Okay, and and so we we see this so-called politics and and, and faith, and to be subject to, uh, to the higher power. Well, it's it's pretty clear there is no power but of God. And if we go back, John, and I say, well, back in 1962, you had one woman, uh, and she was able to get God kicked out of the public schools, taking it to that entity. By the way, that entity that refers to itself as the Supreme Court, uh, they're only supreme in the rebellion against Almighty God. Uh, they're only uh, supreme in, in the fact that what they have basically done is declared themselves God, have they not? As such, that is correct. So when they declared, you know, God dead and themselves to be God in 62, what should the pastors of this country have done back in that, in that time? Well, <laughs> raised all kind of cane and uh, and declared them in rebellion against God. That is for sure. And shouted from the pulpit. And the truth of the matter is this. Uh, they could not do one thing if the people would not listen to them and would not, you know, it, it, I mean, the Supreme Court. It, it's, you know, they can, it, it's kind of like the, uh, the, 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 uh, case that was here in Georgia. Uh, I was just trying to think of the, the legal case. Uh, uh, oh, I'll, I'll think of it in just a second, the title of it. Uh, but what, what happened was the state of Georgia, I think it was in 1792, the state of Georgia was being sued by someone in South Carolina, and they went to the Supreme Court. And uh, the Supreme Court was demanding that Georgia go there to have the case adjudicated. And Georgia said to the Supreme Court and said, look, you're the servant, we're the master. 
you don't tell us to come up there. You, 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 you're not giving us orders. We are the sovereign state of Georgia. So the Supreme Court said, fine, if you don't come up here, we will adjudicate this case without you. And we will issue our verdict. And the state of Georgia said, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but the state of Georgia said to the Supreme Court, wonderful, adjudicate all you will, make all the verdicts you want to make, but this note, the very first man that you send into the sovereign state of Georgia to enforce your edict will immediately be hanged without the benefit of clergy. So that then took care of... Uh, the Supreme Court tried to interfere in the state in that particular area. In fact, that is brought that brought on another amendment in the Constitution, and uh, to, to stop uh, these squabbles like this between the state and the Supreme Court having authority over it. Well, here this past September, uh, I went to Alabama, where they had Judge Roy Moore was on trial. Sure. And in that trial, Matt Staver was arguing, and of course, the only person in that courtroom that was under oath was Judge Moore himself. And the communists, those that were from the Southern uh, Perversion Law Firm, and that's exactly what they are, they're a, a perversion, they kept, the uh, lawyer kept saying to Judge Moore, uh, the Supreme Court is the law of the land. And Judge Moore, kept, Judge Moore kept responding by saying, where is that in the Constitution? Where is that? And he wouldn't answer. So, yeah. go ahead. No, so he's correct. It was not, certainly it's not in the Constitution, but they're not even the supreme law of the land. The Constitution is supposedly the supreme law of the land. However, God's word is even above that, but... Article 6, Paragraph 3 of the Constitution says it is indeed the Constitution, not the Supreme Court. If the Supreme Court is the interpreter of all things, and we must abide by their interpretation, then the Constitution is not supreme. The Supreme Court is supreme. And obviously that would be overthrowing the very foundations of our government. So... When we take a look at this, that entity that we have right now there, uh, they're, again, supreme only in the rebellion and only in their sin. You've got a bunch of atheists up there. In fact, four of those judges have actually said that about the other five. You know, they they made that statement that they're virtually lawless and they've become an entity into themselves. Now, back in 62, when they expelled God from the public school and of course we know the door was left open and we know what came in um, the pastors in this country should have got together they should have gone to Washington D.C. and they should have put that entity on trial for treason against God and the country right or wrong yeah that's a fact and it is treason so then who failed God a treason is primarily, first and foremost, against God and against his law order and his society. And the truth of the matter is, uh, we, have, we have become treasonous against him as a, as a nation. 
Well, didn't the pastors, as the leaders of the nation, did they not fail God? Did they not fail? Did they not have? And that was about that time, remember, when all of a sudden this movement, the neo-evangelical movement coming in into play where everybody had to be sweeter than Jesus and uh, that we had to be very, very gentle and we had to be in touch with our feminine self. This was the, the, what was creeping into the cemeteries. Yeah. Well, what we needed was preachers who, like he, went into the temple and overthrew the money changer stables and took a whip of small cords and drove them out. All right, here's what I have to say. Here in Ohio right now, uh, we have uh, three of the men down there at death row. We've got the largest death row ministry in the state, and I've been going there for over four decades. And... Uh, I believe exactly what God's Word the Bible teaches. When he gave us, gave us the Noah Covenant, he made it very clear that he gave man dominion over the environment. Now, he gave man, mankind, right? Did He He didn't give it to Al Gore, did he? No. What about the, the EPA? No. United Nations? No. No, he gave it to humanity, dominion over the environment. He kept dominion of man for himself, did he not? He did. And therefore, that's where you get the statute of the death penalty in verses 5 through 7 in that Noah covenant. But what happens there, there's a qualification. In order to to carry that out, to have authority, you, you have to have legitimacy. And if you don't have legitimacy, then virtually when, it, when a state like Ohio administers the death penalty, isn't it simply one criminal administering punishment to another? <laughs> yeah, it, it surely seems like that, that is for sure. And especially when uh, the state declares something criminal when it is not criminal or they try to criminalize something that is righteous. Uh, in fact, uh, that's exactly what governments do when they're in rebellion to God, according to the Scripture. Well, here's what happened this past spring here in Ohio. Uh, a good friend of mine passed a, introduced a bill called the Pastors Protection Act. And, and this bill was out there to uh, protect pastors from having to, to conduct sodomite weddings. Sure. Well, the, the strange thing, there was 30-something pastors there to give testimony, and I was the only one, well, actually, there was one other besides me uh, to give testimony that was not a 501c3 corporation. We didn't, we didn't have to be there because Caesar's law don't apply to us. But the interesting thing was it was my testimony was the only one that went national, that made the, went on the AP and went and made national news. And the reason for that is because I just said about that court, that entity called itself supreme, is supreme only in the rebellion and their sin against God. And, and, and when I did that, uh, I got kind of an applause by the legislators there, at least most of them. Okay, they, they kind of got stood up and smiled. They had to be, finally, there's a preacher that's standing up and, and saying it the way it is. But... Uh, those men that were there, the other 30, they wouldn't have had to be there if they had not had that 501c3, huh? Right. 
And when you talk about Lester Roloff, there was another fellow named John Bunyan. And he had a similar situation, didn't he? He did. He did. And he wouldn't accept the 501c3 of his day, would he? No. No. Is there any place in the Beatitudes where it says, blessed are the stupid? <laughs> I don't think so. No, because I, so. I, I was looking all through there. Then, then I don't, why, why do these... Why do these pastors, I think I know the answer, the answer to that I think is in Matthew 23, but but you tell me in your opinion, why do, why do you think these pastors go out and get the 501c3? Well, I think there's several reasons. I think number one is because that's what they're taught to do in seminary. In other words, they tell you if you're going to start a church, then you need to get yourself a good lawyer. You need to get incorporated. You need to get your Bible 1C3. That's just the way they do things. I mean, that's what they're taught. They're not taught theologically correct doctrine. They're not taught that Jesus Christ is Lord of the church. They're, they're basically taught that government is Lord of the church, and you have to do what they say. If you want your little tax exemption, then, then you've got to do this and you've got to do that. Cross your and dot your eyes. Uh, then there are two financial pressures because uh, people a lot of times they just say, well, I'm not going to give it if I can't take it up on my taxes. In other words, they're not actually giving for God's honor and God's glory. They're giving for their own selfish benefit is what it amounts to. So there, there are many things, but I think uh, one of the things is, and I would say this is a third reason, most people have never studied the Scripture. Most people, most preachers do not study the scriptures. Most preachers never, ever sit down and think things through and search the scripture and say, should I do this or should I not do this? What is right and what is wrong? And, and they, they just simply do what they're told and what they've been taught like good little boys, and that's the way it goes. Well, then, when you become a 501c3 corporation, can you be both... Uh, a, cor a corporation, corpus is non-living, a non-living entity created by the state. So can you be both a non-living entity created by the state and the living body of Christ, the living bride of Christ, can you be both at the same time? Well, I wouldn't think so, but if you were, you would be a horrible anomaly because you'd be a body with two heads. <laughs> and so only monsters have two heads, huh? Yeah. So, so obviously what they're doing, uh, and see, it, it really comes down to something very simple. The question is, who is Lord of the church? Is Jesus Christ Lord? Does he have absolute sovereign authority over the church, or is the government Lord? And, and you say, well, uh, if I take my 501c3, I'm not saying that, I'm going to still say that Jesus Christ is Lord. You might say that, but once you accept that, you have to understand that you've just signed a piece of paper stating that you are not going to preach against public policy. And uh, that's very clear in IRS Publication 557. There are two requirements. Number one, all of your, your beliefs must be genuinely and sincerely held. Nobody's going to argue with that. But the second one is you cannot go against stated public policy. And in this country, abortion is public policy, sodomy is public policy, fraud is public policy, transgenderism is public policy. In other words, you just can't preach against sin is what it amounts to. So 
1983, Ronald Reagan said twice that uh, there is no higher law than ecclesiastical law. He said the church is an entity and law within itself, that the church does not fall under uh, the government. And so he made that statement, of course, God's Word, the Bible makes that statement. But when you you sign and you become a 501c3, you agree with the state that you are now, you're no longer a church, but you're a religious organization. And so, therefore, once you've done that, <coughs> does, doesn't Scripture say that if you... Uh, place yourself under a hard taskmaster, then you then you have to obey the hard taskmaster, do you not? It says to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are. So obviously, and when you enter into the realm of Caesar, he's going to he's going to claim everything you are and everything that you have. So, anyhow, to whom much is given, Jesus said this. Uh, if you had not been told and you had not been shown, you would have no sin. But since you've been told and since you've been shown, you've got no cloak for your sin. So if you know that you're in a, in a corporation and not a church, uh, are you to stay there or are you to do come out from amongst them and be separate from them? Well, obviously come out. But when you, when you stop and think about this, if you're going to have your corporation, the state is going to tell you what to do. You have to have an annual meeting. You have to pay a certain amount each year. You have to do certain things. And if you don't, then they can terminate it. So obviously, the state is telling you what to do. And you just cannot do uh, otherwise, if you want to maintain your corporation and if you want to maintain your 501c3 tax-exempt status, Lord, you must follow their rules. It's that simple. So can you follow their rules and follow the rules of the Scripture at the same time? What did our Lord say? Our Lord said, no man can serve two masters. So they hate one or love the other, cling to the one, despise the other. So all, all churches are tax immune. If you're an actual church, you're tax immune already. Uh, you, you fall. Right. Because it's a separate jurisdiction. <laughs> Jesus Christ is head of the church, not, not anyone else. And it's always been recognized as a separate jurisdiction. So, therefore, James 4.17 says, For those that know to do good and do it not, to them it is sin. So if they know that they're in a corporation and not a church, and they know that Scripture says to come out from amongst them, be you separate from them, but they say, well, that's true, but uh, the place I go is a lot closer to my house than, than an actual church would be. Uh, is that sin? Well, yeah, if they know and do it not, he said, therefore it is sin, that is for sure. You see, the, the, the problem is this. We do not value truth. We do not value principle. We do not value liberty and freedom. We value convenience and ease and comfort far greater than those things. And that's, that's why we're in the mess that we're in in this country anyhow. That's why we're in the mess that we're in in our churches. And, and, and people are not concerned with principles. And obviously, even a lot of preachers are not concerned with principles. So well, Hillary, Hillary 
Perry said if she had been elected, then the Christians were going to have to change their long-held religious beliefs. Yeah. Uh, and, of, of course, those in the neo-evangelical, of course, the apostate church, they, you know, they, they left uh, being a church a long time ago. They've got no semblance of Christianity. They're literally synagogues of Satan, the apostate church. Um, the world and, and national council of churches out there today, and so you know, you know, we we see that out there. But when we take a look at uh, back at like people like John Bunyan, apparently people don't learn anything, haven't really learned anything from that. And the, there seems to be a mindset, doesn't there, that uh, you know that God's going to have to conform to the world if enough people are doing it or believe it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, God's immutable. What does that mean? Does that mean he's likely to change? No, he's unchangeable. Uh, I, the Lord change not is what he said. So he's the same today, tomorrow, and forever, huh? Yeah. Let's go back. Can I, I want to take you back to where we left off to verse 5 in Romans 13. Wherefore, you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Um, so what he's talking about there, that we need to be in compliance and obedience for the Lord, not just because we fear his, his chastisement, but because we love him, huh? Well, that is true. But if you look at that in the context, when you go back to verse 4, he, the civil ruler, is the minister of God to thee for good. If thou do that which is evil, that is, if you violate God's law, be afraid, for he, the civil ruler, beareth not the sword in vain, for he is a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him to do with evil. God gave government the power to fulfill his law, not their law. That's so, why he says, well, you must needs be subject only for wrath. In other words, you, you should be afraid not only... Of, of the power of God, but the ordinance of God, in that they are to judge sin. But then he said also, for conscience sake. And the interesting thing is the word conscience is the, is the Greek word synodesis. Soon is a preposition which means with, a desis is to know. You look at the word conscience, con is a preposition with, science is, is to know. Your conscience is that which you know with. So actually he is saying, we need to obey God because we know that we should obey God. Well, you're absolutely right uh, there. And when he says that for conscience sake, now uh, we go to the next verse here. Now, because how many times you say, well, now look, if you don't uh, respect that person, at least respect that office, and whether you know it, I remember I had when, when abomination, and I refer to him as abomination, uh, because I believe he is an abomination according to the Word of God, um, for what he has done, is, is how the wickedness of which he ruled. Now, when it says here, uh, you have to, uh, even if even if you don't like him, since he holds that office, that you have to show, uh, well, well, as it says there, <coughs> uh, this cause pay tribute also for they are the ministers continually upon there. Therefore, 
uh, to all their dues, tribute to and tribute is due, custom to. In other words, you're supposed to, according to a lot of people, give honor to dishonorable people. But if we turn to Proverbs chapter 24, and let me just read to you in Proverbs 24, okay? Uh, Fret not thyself because of evil men, and neither be thou envious to the wicked. For there shall be no reward to evil men. The candle of the wicked shall be put out. My son, fear thou the Lord and the king, and meddle not with them that are giving to change. Sound like anybody you know? Yeah. Yeah. For their calamity shall rise suddenly, and who knoweth the ruin of them both? These things also belong to the wise. It is not good to have respect of persons in judgment. He that saith unto the wicked, Thou art righteous, him shall the people curse, and nations shall abhor him. But to them that rebuke him shall be delight and a good blessing shall come upon them. Every man shall kiss his lips that giveth the right answer. When John the Baptist stood before Herod and rebuked him, uh, was John the Baptist in righteous indignation? Yes, sir. He was in righteous indignation, that is a fact, when he rebuked Herod. And so whose job is it to rebuke these wicked rulers like Obama and these wicked politicians and these wicked judges? It's a, uh, it was an interesting thing I had here uh, a minute ago. It'd be the pastors first, that is for sure, and any, any, any Christian of good conscience after that. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's an interesting thing. I just, you know, picked up a, a paper. I had these pads that was literally given to me by a lawyer, and it's 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 lawyer jokes on this pad, and you know, it's just a little uh, writing pad. So I went to write on it today. I read it, and here's what it says: A judge and a lawyer were discussing the transmigration of souls into animals. Suppose you were to be turned into an animal. Would you prefer to be an ass or a horse? And the ass, an ass for sure, replied the lawyer. Well, the judge was kind of surprised and said, well, why? And the lawyer said, well, I've heard of an ass being a judge, but but a horse never. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. I'm going to open up the phone lines and take some questions. You ready? Uh, okay, let's take some questions. Phone lines are now open at 888-677-9673. 888-677-9673. Or toll-free, locally. Okay, I know uh, you say, well, Pastor, you always say that too fast. I'm driving, and by the time I get a pen and paper. All right, it's 888 677 Nine six seven three or locally toll free two one six nine zero one zero nine three three. Now, in verse seven it says, "Render therefore to all their dues, uh, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear is due, and honor to whom honor is due." But if you render to those that is not due, then 
what I just read is said, let you be accursed, okay? Uh, so, you know, that that makes a lot of sense to me. Doesn't it make sense to you? Yes, sir, it does. Yes, so when, when we're going back to verse 4, for he is a minister of God to thee for good. And people say, well, well what is good? And, and if they say, what is good? Wouldn't uh, 119th Psalm be a good answer? Well, uh, the good is defined by God. Uh, in fact, in Isaiah 45 there, he said, I, the Lord, create uh, light, I create darkness, I create good, and I create evil. In other words, when God created the world, he decreed everything that was good. Now, you're going to ask, well, how did God create evil? Well, God is certainly not the author of evil. He's not the infuser of evil. He's not the instigator of evil. But he is the creator in this sense. When God decreed that which was good and right and holy, by definition, anything contrary to that would be evil. So when he says, well, he is the minister of God for, the, for good, that means as long as that civil ruler fulfills God's law and ministers according to God's law and God's righteousness, it is for our good. It is for our good that murderers are executed. It's for our good that rapists are executed. It's for our good uh, that, that the evil is dealt with. In other words, society could not exist without without someone doing that which was right according to God's law. You look at the problems that we're in today, it's because we've certainly neglected the Word of God and, and erred from the Word of God, and, and God's law is laughed at and scorned. But He is to be the minister of us for good in that sense. And that's why I said if you do that which is evil, that which is contrary to good, then you better be afraid because God ordained him to execute his justice. All right. Right now, in, in my lifetime, and you and I, we're not children anymore, but in, in our lifetime, I've never seen a time right now, in my opinion, uh, where our nation is not only more distressed, but in in a very clear and present clear and present danger uh, as we look and, and I've seen right now with what has taken place with abomination who has brought in you know hordes and hordes and hordes of radical Muslims and he's still bringing them in uh, he, he has gone and he is just you know up here in our area here John uh, if we go back five years ago six years ago where I live in the area we would have maybe in our county maybe one <laughs> overdose, drug overdose, and if it hit two or three, that was a lot a year. Now, John, that's 70, 80, 90. Um, they have the, the drug trafficking is, is getting, you know, and, and we're way, way out in the country. Um, so Obama just released a, a whole bunch of his fellow drug dealers out there. Uh, he's brought in all of these illegal aliens. Um, and, and I believe that America could very easily, could very easily, with what is going on, find itself in a civil war like it did in the days of, of Lincoln. What do you think? Well, that's true. And when they're saying that there's nearly a million of criminal illegal aliens in this country, 
not just illegal aliens, but criminal illegal aliens. And a lot of those are connected to the gangs, the MS-13 and, and all the other gangs that exist. Well, there's a new one. It's Well, actually, it's not new. It's been around for about 10 years. And being in the prison ministry, they're called the Heartless Felons. The Heartless Felons. I don't know if you've heard of them. But what they do is they they really incorporate all of these different the Bloods and the Crips and all of that under kind of one umbrella. And they, they're called the Heartless Felons in the prisons because they are totally disrespectful to everybody. I mean, totally. And uh, these younger guys, they are they prey on the older uh, inmates and guys that are just trying to to live their time and, and try to be at peace uh, but that is that is what's going on now in a lot of your prisons out there and these people look at Obama these gangs they, they look at Obama nation as kind of uh, in a hero sense like he's to them he's like in the days of Al Capone in Chicago where a lot of the the, you know, the, the working people and the unions and that, they looked at Al Capone. He was beating the system that always beat them down. And, and they look at Obama, you know, as, as one who is, is virtually a criminal that is, and then, well, like they do at the Clintons. They look at the Clinton crime syndicate out there. Uh, and they look at him as kind of, those guys are made it, you know, they are, they're the real thing. They're the top of the line criminal. Anyhow, we got a call, and let's go right now to none other than Double X. Double X, you're in the air. Good evening, Pastor Sanders, and season's greetings to you and Pastor Weaver. Uh, I'm just really enjoying the broadcast this evening. It's very illuminating and, and uh, uh, reinforcing of, of what it means to have a Christian ethic in a limited constitutional republic like we've enjoyed for over 200 years in this country and need to fully return to. Uh, as you talk about President Obama, Pastor Sander, it occurs to me, just as an observation, that the one thing that President Obama has done to our country with his words, his deeds, is he has given license to the effects that you've just described. And I think that is the most egregious uh, thing that's happened. And quite frankly, I believe that in some measure, the license that he has given to misbehavior, to rioting, to criminality in our country uh, is in, in part responsible for some of the things that have happened to the policemen in Dallas and around the country. Um, but I was going to ask Pastor Sanders, uh, or excuse me, Pastor Sanders, I was going to pa ask Pastor Weaver this evening a question. You may recall that some weeks before the election, we were able to have Speaker Pro Tem from the lower assembly in the uh, North Carolina State Legislature, Speaker Pro Tem Paul Stam, come and visit with us to talk about the voter ID law in North Carolina and the fact that that law, which merely wished to identify voters properly so that they could re reduce or eliminate voter fraud in the state of North Carolina, merely required that a, a voter uh, present a state-issued ID card, which would indicate that they are a properly vetted uh, voter. And that law, as we know, was challenged by the uh, NAACP, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, uh, and it was uh, ch uh, challenged in federal court in the 4th District Court in Richmond, Virginia, 
that judgment was appealed, uh, and, and by the way, that voter ID law in the state of North Carolina had been voted on in the affirmative by over 70% of the voters in the state of North Carolina, had been passed by both houses in the North Carolina state legislature and signed by the governor. It was a, a, a certainly a well thought of law in the state that it was intended to operate in. Uh, but when the, North, uh, when the NAACP challenged it in federal court, the federal judges at the 4th District Court in Richmond, Virginia, U.S. District Court, ruled against it and on appeal upheld that judgment. And so then the state of North Carolina appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. And it was in the moment of deciding whether to appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court that, as you recall, Pastor Sanders, we had that conversation with uh, Representative Stam, Speaker Pro Tem Stam, to determine whether or not the state of North Carolina was interested in pursuing other constitutional remedies, like pursuing North Carolina's rights under the Tenth Amendment of the Constitution, uh, states' rights, if you will, to just go ahead and operate their law, because uh, obviously if the Supreme Court of the United States was not operating uh, within the bounds of the Constitution, then their uh, federal court uh, uh, ruling uh, would have no bearing uh, in North Carolina, Carolina operating its constitutionally uh, reasonable law. Well, ultimately, Speaker uh, Stam, Speaker Pro Tem Stam, said that he feared that because uh, the Marines were at Camp Lejeune and the Army was at Fort Bragg, and the Air Force was at Seymour Johnson, that the federal government had every means available to come and enforce that ruling by the 4th District Court uh, to, uh, you know, with, with, with use of force. And he said the last time that we, you know, struggled about, you know, these issues in that way, uh, that caused us several hundred thousand lives, of course, referring to the, civil, the American Civil War or as it's known uh, to those who are perhaps well-read as the War of Northern Aggression. But with all that said, Pastor, uh, Pastor Weaver, I wonder with your perspective as a Southern man from Georgia, what advice could you offer to Southern states and legislators such as in North Carolina as they deal with these issues with an overreaching federal government? Well, that's a wonderful question, and it's one that was probably should have been dealt with for two hours, that is for sure. But the interesting thing is, what we have done in this country is we've turned everything upside down. You have to remember it was the states that created the federal government, not the federal government creating the states. So the federal government was created to be the servant with certain limited powers. In fact, the Constitution is referred to as a limited powers document or an express powers document. When it's called a limited powers document, it means the only power that the federal government has is that which is limited to it by the Constitution. By an express powers document, it just simply means that the only power they have is that which is expressed in the Constitution. So the states are supposed to be the masters and the federal government is supposed to be the servant. It's just that simple. And when we talk about uh, someone sending force, you have to remember 
yes, there may be the Army there at Fort Bragg. There may be Air Force somewhere else. But uh, with all the military combined in this country, just the hunters in, 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 in these states are far more than the military. And a lot of the hunters have powerful weapons as well. So the point being is this. Certainly the Tenth Amendment is there, and the states just have to come up and say, we're not going to knuckle under. Yes, there's nullification. Yes, there is. there are other means and, and that kind of thing. But one of the problems that, that most people do not grasp is simply this, that the federal government was not a party to the Constitution. It was not sitting there determining its powers. No, the states determined the power, and they said, we are going to give you this much power, and then we're going to reserve the rest of it to ourselves. So that which was not given expressly in the Constitution is reserved to the states, and the states have the absolute right to do so. Now, here's another problem. The federal government will come to the state and say, fine, if you don't do this, then we're going to cut off your federal funding. And my response to that would be this, wonderful, we're going to cut off federal taxation. We're not sending you any money. And the truth of the matter is, if every state kept the money in the state that it sends to the federal government, it would not need any federal subsidies. It just takes money from the state and turns around and gives it back as a means of control. That's what it amounts to. There have been studies done about the states as their own independent nations, and that's exactly the way they were set up originally anyhow. So they turned it all around. And uh, some years ago, Oklahoma wanted to try to pass legislation stating, look, uh, for the federal government to receive tax money from the state, first they had to justify, in other words, say here, this is what the money is going to be used for. This is what your money, and then, then the state legislator would vote upon that. And, well, they declared that almost a constitutional crisis. But here's the thing that you probably don't know, John. That in that Constitution, there's emanations of a penumbra. And that, those emanations of a penumbra lets these judges uh, do whatever they want, you see. Because, see, they can find things in there like gives a woman a right to kill her baby, or they can find things in there that says they can overturn uh, the definition of marriage, which, which God gave us the definition of marriage when he gave us the, the first divine institution. One man, one woman for a lifetime. Okay, that was marriage. What they call marriage, God's word, the Bible has defined as one, an abomination, and two, fornication. Now, in the courtroom, and I know I've been in the courtroom enough times, being in the pro-life uh, since 1974, I've found myself in the courtroom many times, okay, and uh, one of the things they often like to use, the prosecutors, is settled law. They like to say this is settled law. Uh, no, what I consider is settled law 
is what God's word, the Bible, gives us. And 6,000 years ago, he said marriage is between a man and a woman, and he gave us a definition. Uh, shouldn't the pastors, shouldn't the pastors stand up? And I mean, shouldn't they find the courage? And do you think that might happen, that the pastors might find the courage uh, to go and, and take that entity called the Supreme Court? And there, there should be uh, tar and feathers for those people. Sure, sure. That's the fact. That's the fact. Uh, well, and, let, and let, me read, let me read something to you very quickly. Uh, I know our time is fast getting away. Uh, but uh, I, most people have probably never heard of the, the Fairfax Resolves. But the Fairfax Resolves were written in 1774 uh, by George Washington, uh, George Broadwater, and... Uh, uh, I think George Mason as well, and uh, it, it's absolutely amazing uh, what these uh, men said. Uh, in fact, uh, they, they, they talk about the fact that uh, Great Britain has uh, tried to steal their money, and then they go on to say that unless we have the right to give or to withhold our money from the government, we are in actuality slaves. And uh, when you stop, and this is George Washington speaking. And uh, right. Uh, so, uh, in fact, uh, when the deal dealt with the Boston Port Bill and they were going to close the port and start Boston out, in the Fairfax Resolves, uh, number 22, they said resolve that should the town of Boston be forced to submit to that late, cruel, and oppressive measure of government, that we will not hold the same to be binding upon us, but will notwithstanding religiously maintain and inviolably adhere to such measures as shall be concerted by the General Congress for the preservation of our lives, liberty, and fortune. In other words, they said, we're not going to do what Great Britain says. That's all there is to it. It doesn't matter what they pass. It doesn't matter the law. We're going to stand for liberty, our lives, and our fortunes. Well, Pastor, Pastor Weaver, there's, uh, returning to Romans 13, I just wanted to note that I find a tremendous parallel in Romans 13 and the, the suggestion by Scripture that rulers uh, are only just rulers when they are, are ordained by God. In other words, when they are uh, in concert with Scripture. Well, uh, when we go to Article 6 of the U.S. Constitution, as you were touching on earlier, which states that in paragraph or section 2 or par uh, clause 2 of Article 6, this Constitution and the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, it reminds me very much of Romans 13, verses 1 and 2. But okay, and... It does, and, and you know, in other words, you could, the Supreme the, the Supreme Court has no authority unless it is actually operating under what the Constitution intends. So that a federal judgment uh, in a federal district court, which clearly uh, flies in the face of a state's authority, uh, in uh, you know, under many clauses in the Constitution, articles and amendments, 
uh, is not a judgment that need be concerned, uh, that, that the state of North Carolina needs to concern themselves with. All right, let's, we're going to take another call. Let's go ahead and take Barb. Barb, you're in the air. Hi, Pastor Sanders. Hello, Barb. <clears throat> I just wanted to uh, uh, apologize for not calling in. I've been, uh, we've been having some problems, brother, and uh, my sister passed away in September. And I'm not adjusting very well to it. Sorry to hear that, yeah. Um, and I, we really need your prayers. Um, Henry has kidney stones, and he's waiting to have operation probably in January. And he has gallstones, so I've been... We, we, were, um, we were inundated by rats uh, oh, wow. in May. In May. And I had uh, my birds were all killed, but two, and I'm devastated. Um, my dog got bit by one, and he died. And um, I I know that I'm not Job. I know that the Lord is a, it's a reason for everything, Brother Sanders, but. At 70 years old, I just, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know why. I'm right there with you. Let me just say this, Barbin. Uh, we have, uh, in fact, I was going to go to prayer here. We have uh, an, another prayer request, which is an emergency. And uh, Victor, Vic, uh, who fell. Victor's uh, one of the men who attends our church. He's uh, one of the faithful, a man that loves the Lord. He fell and he hit his head and he's been bleeding from the brain. And he's in the hospital right now. And uh, his his wife, Martha, called me to tell me and, and we prayed for him today. We held him up in prayer with a group of pastors. But right now, uh, John, I would like to ask you if you would just pray for it's just like something's coming against us. Yeah. I don't know what. And, what. and and what is your husband's name again? Henry. Henry. I'll pray he's for Henry. Old. He's got kidney stones. Okay. All right. Uh, John, would you pray for Victor? He's he's in the hospital, bleeding from the brain, and I'll pray for Henry. For Henry. Okay. Thank you, brother. Well, let's have prayer then. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we do ask for Victor today. I ask, Father, that you would touch his body, that you would give the doctors wisdom and discernment, and, Lord, if it please thee, that everything would go well and be successful. We understand that thou art the great physician, thou art the healer of the body. We commit him into your hands and ask, Father, for your will to be done in his life. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Thank you. And, and Lord, I ask, too, that you bless Victor with every blessing you have for him. And Martha, too, Lord, and give her, Lord, that peace of mind and be a comfort to her at this time. And I want to hold up Henry, too, and just ask, Father God, Lord, that you would, would be a blessing to him right now, Father, and that you might touch him and, and remove that the gallstone problem that he has from him. And, Father, uh, Lord, and, and right now uh, we're going to... As, as John and, and, and all of you folks out there, tonight, John, right now, all across the world, even as we're talking, uh, people are dying. And that's not a tragedy because 
people are being born too. The tragedy is this, that the vast majority of people are going to run out of tomorrow's tonight, and that's a reality, and they're going to die in their sin. And it just don't get any worse than that. It just doesn't get any worse than dying in your sin. And if you're out there listening to me right now, and if you cannot say to me, Pastor, I know that if I died right now, tonight, I'd go home to be with the Lord. Well, then you you won't. Because you, the Bible tells us that uh, we can know, we know that we have that, that precious gift of salvation. So, Brother John, I'm going to ask you to give an invitation out there for the folks out there tonight, Lord. Uh, and so that they know that when they hear the invitation, it's not you or me, it's the Lord himself speaking. So would you do that? Sure. Well, the Lord commands everyone to repent and believe. He said in Acts 17 that we are to repent. Why? Because he's appointed a day in which he will judge the world by righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, which is Jesus Christ. And the Bible says he's given us assurance and that he's raised him from the dead. So just as surely as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, there will indeed be a judgment. Therefore, God demands that we repent and that you repent. He also demands that we believe on his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he said, obviously, Jesus Christ is the only Savior and the only Lord. And unless you believe in Jesus Christ, you're going to be lost. So the Bible does command sinners to come to Christ. And that's good news. Because the Bible teaches that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So I would encourage each one to throw yourselves upon Jesus Christ and repent of your sins. Turn. Turn from them and turn to Christ, just like the Bible says in First Thessalonians chapter 1, how they turn to God from idols to serve the true and the living God. So you must turn from your sin and turn to God and seek his mercy and seek his grace and seek his faith in and through Jesus Christ. Throw yourself upon him and beg for his mercy and beg for his grace. That is the only way that anyone will ever reach God the Father. Our Lord himself said, No man cometh in the Father but by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So come to Christ and Christ alone. Amen. And well, and Barb, thanks for calling, and, and uh, you have a blessed Christmas, and we'll continue to remember Henry and, and your situation out there. He's a wonderful Christian man, and... Uh, they're wanting us to go, they're wanting us to move to the city, and we don't want to, and it's, uh, I don't know, maybe the Lord wants us to, I don't know. Well, give it to him and wait upon the... We have 11 acres and a little bit too much to take care of, but uh, I'm, I'm really kind of down, so... Well... Call up, that's when you call upon the name of the Lord and, and um, read Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Okay, brothers, thank you. God bless. God bless. Uh, folks, we're out of time for tonight. John, I want to thank you for being here, uh, and we got to get you back uh, here in the near future. And uh, as we go, we, we want to wish everyone out there, remember that... Uh, Jesus is the only reason for the season. He's the only reason for the season. And we need to do that. We need to boldly, as we go out and pronounce that and profess that, and so we go wherever we go, 
because, uh, you know, Scripture says if we're ashamed of the Lord, then he'll be ashamed of us before the Father. Right, John? That's correct, brother. All right, well, God bless you. Thanks for being here. You, may you all have, John and, and uh, Double X and Barb, all of you have the most blessed, blessed, blessed uh, Christmas you've ever had. And until tomorrow, we want to say good night. God bless. Remember, always, always keep fighting the fight. fight. Thanks for listening to the Voice of the Christian Resistance. What's right, what's left. Hosted by Pastor Ernie Sanders. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us online at www.wrwl.org. Please tune in next time for another edition of What's Right, What's Left.
stores. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Welcome to America Betrayed. I'm your host, John Clark, and you're listening to us on AVR, American Voice Radio Network. I started my show uh, back in 2008, and one of my uh, first guests is going to be uh, my guest tonight. Uh, he blew, uh, blew, first one to blow the whistle on this slime ball, uh, Obama. Uh, I mean, what, what a joke. Uh, I never got along with Clint that well. Clint Eastwood, uh, I studied with the same acting coach and knew Clint. And, Never really got along with him, but uh, he said this will probably be the biggest uh, fraud ever perpetrated on the American public, and he's absolutely right. Uh, just the latest thing is uh, their vacations cost us $85 million. $85 million. Now, I, like I said, I started the show in 2008. Uh, I had worked in Congress for a number of years. Uh, I was traveling quite a bit. I was doing documentary films. Uh, on the, uh, the problem with illegal immigration. And I was really getting sick and tired of uh, the, the air, rude people, the airports. Uh, uh, it wasn't uh, uh, fun anymore. I thought, well, I started doing the radio show, uh, reach new people, uh, get the word out, and I don't have to shave or wear clothes. So um, that's what happened. But then I got uh, very ill. My um, my doctors felt that there was a very good chance I'd been poisoned, um, almost like my friend Ted Gunderson said he used to be head of the FBI office in Los Angeles. He became a whistleblower, and also uh, Sonny Bono was assassinated. But I came back uh, a couple of months ago because there were certain things that I know about, that I know for facts, uh, that I wanted to get out before anything else happens. Uh, the first one I came out with was Jimmy Hoffa, what they did with him. Uh, they ground them up on a pig farm up, up in northern Michigan. FBI knows all about it. It's a bunch of crap. 
uh, mafia and the CIA and all the government have been working together since uh, World War II. Uh, the second one was uh, D.B. Cooper, the skyjacker. Uh, he named who he was. His name was Walter Pica. He was caught by the FBI three months after he jumped, and he was turned into an assassin. Uh, prior to jumping, he was a hitman for the Teamsters. He put people in cement. He passed away about uh, about two years ago now. Uh, from him, uh, I got uh, not directly from him, but from his best friend, because uh, I told him I never wanted him to know that I was uh, working on it. Uh, I got from him that uh, who killed my cousin Marilyn Monroe. Uh, that was uh, Joe Kennedy who gave the order, and it was the mafia who carried it out. She was going to expose JFK and RFK. Also, uh, Sonny Bono. Sonny Bono uh, was. I, I don't have all the evidence, but everything points to the Clinton Bush crime families that uh, did uh, uh, Sonny in. The Clinton Bush crime families controlled the White House for the last 40 years plus. Now, back in 2008, uh, they, Hillary was supposed to be president, but they shoved her aside. They wanted to put a black man in there because if you attack him, you're, you're a racist. Well, you see what they put in there. Um, and 95% of blacks voted for him because they thought he was black. Well, that's one of the worst people we could have put in there. I was, used to be a Democrat before I went to Washington, D.C., because my parents were. I, they were always for the working class uh, people out there that uh, cared about people. And then after working in D.C. for a while, I go, wait a minute, uh, these aren't uh, the people that I uh, knew. Uh, these are communists, and that's exactly what the Democratic Party is. They became communists. But they're being used because the powers to be uh, that want to run the world want a communist-type government. And they're using blacks and Muslims to destroy the white race. That's what we've been talking about tonight. This organization of the United States, not only the United States, but the rest of the world, Europe, is finally catching on. I hope it's not too late. And also white genocide. They have to get the white race out of the way because they aren't going to buy this crap. They know that communism is the highest form of uh, slavery there is, and they just don't get it. Uh, they're being used, and once they're being used and abused, they're going to be thrown away. And I'll say after they've got uh, their work done. Also, if you like to... Um, uh, read about our show each week that's coming up. Go to nationalwritersyndicate.com, www.writersyndicate.com. Also, if you'd like to call in, say hey you or screw you, whatever you want to say, 800-932-1980. Again, 800-932-1980. Uh, like I said, my guest uh, tonight, he was one of my first guests back in 2008, and he gave all this information about Obama, what a fraud he was, but nobody would listen to him. Uh, and you see that uh, now Sheriff Arpaio is uh, finally, after collecting $3 million, is saying, yeah, they, they, uh, Phil Berg was right. But uh, Phil has done a lot of uh, things over the years, uh, pro bono work. Uh, he was the Deputy Attorney General of uh, Pennsylvania from 72 to 80. And uh, like I said, I think he, well, he, I know he was a Democrat, but I think he's a little fed up with uh, all this crap, especially Hillary, this uh, piece of crap, and, uh, and, and the rest of them. They're all bad. I mean, uh, they, they are a criminal enterprise. That's why they're pushing against Trump so bad. Uh, I don't agree, uh, like, particularly like Trump. I wish there was somebody else, but uh, hey, uh, there's no way I'm going to vote for any of the Bushes or the Clintons or. Uh, anybody else. Paul Ryan's a uh, convert to uh, Islam, uh, also the head of the CIA, a convert to Islam. 
uh, we are being run by a Muslim government. Now, if Trump is coming in, he's got his work cut out. Now, they're going to put every stumbling block in front of him. And uh, if he can get over these hurdles, you know, maybe. But he's only got four years. And what they're going to do, they're trying to get rid of the Electoral College because they can outvote us by illegal aliens. Look what happened with Hillary Clinton. She got three million extra votes. All came from California because Jerry Brown signed a bill that would give uh, illegals the right to vote for uh, president. I hope Trump, when he gets in, says, uh, let's make it a federal crime and uh, go from there. But uh, let's go over to Phil Berg and, and find out what's uh, up to Phil these days. Like I said, he was the first one to point out that what a fraud this uh, piece of crap in the, in the White House, soon to be out of the White House, I hope. Uh, Phil, good evening. My pleasure to be on with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I was your uh, one of your first. And, yeah, I blew the whistle back in 2008, but no one wanted to listen, and the courts protected him. And back in 2008, I called Obama a fraud, a phony, a liar, and an imposter. And I still say it today. And now Sheriff Ohio, I didn't know how much money he raised, um, but uh, he just had some studies done which confirms that the uh, he said he's just looking at the birth certificate. Uh, the birth certificate's a fraud. <clears throat> I said the birth certificate was a fraud back in 2008 because um, it just it was. And then um, in 2011, if you recall, when um, uh, Trump was after him to produce a birth certificate, then he produces a birth certificate. And the day he produced it, I looked at it and I said it's a phony because that one, which had been actually produced earlier, said uh, the first question on there is, name the father's race. Well, for the father's race, they put down um, um, African. Well, guess what? In, in 1961, no one was African. You know, you were either um, black or Negro. So there was a fraud. They, they couldn't, they're so incompetent, they couldn't even forge a good birth certificate. You know, and uh, I'm glad that, you know, I'm still pursuing it. I'm still registered a Democrat because it gives me more credibility. I did switch to Republican to vote for Trump in the uh, primary. And I'm glad, I think, you know, first of all, Hillary belongs in jail. Okay? And uh, so does Obama. Um, even more so for the emails, they belong in jail for the um, Benghazi. I think Benghazi was outrageous. Well, you know, if this was a time of war, which it is, we are at war with uh, Islam, with the, the Muslims. Uh, in a time of war, uh, if a person did half or a quarter of what Obama and Hillary done, uh, they wouldn't be in prison. They would be in front of a firing squad. Yeah, and right. I, I'm just amazed that they had all the mechanism in place to keep them there, even though so many knew. Well, like I said, the head of the CIA is a, a Muslim convert, so is uh, Paul Ryan, another piece of crap. Uh, also, look at this, Mitch McConnell. Uh, I just don't understand why uh, uh, Trump would appoint Cho, uh, McConnell's wife, uh, to some cabinet post. Uh, she's a piece of crap also. Uh, they're a criminal enterprise, Phil. Uh, this whole Congress, they're up there making millions of dollars. Uh, they tried to bring in Jeb Bush. Uh, that didn't work. The Hillary didn't work. And uh, like I said, they're going to push to get rid of the Electoral College because if there was no Electoral College this uh, time, uh, she would be in the White House because of the well, votes. That's, the only but but that, that's not the work because it's going to need a constitutional amendment, and I don't think they'll get that through. I really don't think so. I think 
Um, the key right now, in my opinion, is Trump has to come forth and do the things he said he was going to do to keep his base strong. And, and I think I think he'll do it. Um, like I say, I'm a lifelong Democrat, but as far as I'm concerned, the Democratic Party has to wake up because it's absurd what's going on. You know, I mean, yeah, the, the other thing that I've seen uh, worldwide is uh, all these Muslims are only going into uh, you know Western civil, uh, civilized countries. Uh, I don't feel that Muslims belong in civilized countries uh, uh, because of their religion. Uh, you know, their religion says that uh, either to convert a infidel, and the other choice is to kill them if they won't convert. Now, uh, you know, some, if somebody tells me that, is you know, kiss my, you know what, and get the hell out of here. Uh, do you agree with that, Phil? Yeah, absolutely. Listen, you know, I, if you don't like the United States, get out of here. This burning the flag, I think you're going to see Trump to do something that, even though it's a First Amendment right, I think he can do something about it. You know, if you don't like this country, get out of here. The Americans, how about the college in New Hampshire who took down the American flag? I mean, what kind of crap is going on right now? And uh, the the education, I'm a Democrat, but I keep putting out things. Democrats, you better wake up. This country's going downhill fast. I, I believe that Obama, from day one, has been out to hurt this country. George, The word is George Soros brought him in and Hillary in back in 2007-2008, and then he decided he could do more damage with Obama by putting him in. Um, and that's why... I think um, Obama won back at that time. Obama's been a disgrace. I mean, remember what he did in 2009 after he was sworn in? He went on his apology tour to the Arab nations. Now, granted, the United States isn't perfect, but you don't go out apologizing to the actual United States. And on that trip, he went to different Arab nations, but he did not stop in Israel. The, word, the, the writing was on the wall about Israel. And what they did this past week, by not vetoing this um, resolution in the United States, United Nations, is a total disgrace. And then you have Curry, who sold out the Vietnam War. Now he sells out Israel, you know, coming up with the plan. He hasn't done anything. And, and another thing, other than Benghazi and the email, Obama is responsible, and I say this in my book. I think you're aware. I wrote a book, everyone, called Obama Scare. Obamascare, Obamacare with a S in the middle, Obamascare, it's available on Amazon, or you can go to my website, Obama Crimes. And in my book, <clears throat> I mentioned the red line. I mean, people just pass over this. Uh, Obama said a red line in Syria. He said if, if Assad uses gas, nerve gas, to kill his people, I will come forth and do something. Assad used nerve gas, and then remember what Obama did? Obama, he said, oh, I didn't set the red line, someone else did. Well, right after that, what happened? Putin moves into Crimea. Putin goes into um, Ukraine. The Russian missiles go into Ukraine. The Russian missiles shut down that shut down that plane. And we're just like, we're like patsies. And China's taking over the China Sea. They're building this uh, the islands. They're saying this this uh, uh, territory. I mean, because and then I loved last week when. Um, Obama said he's going to um, do something to Russia because they were hacking. Everyone's just laughing at o Obama. I mean, he's a disgrace. You know, yeah, it, he, was, uh, it was, as far as I know, it was WikiLeaks that, uh, uh, that and actually it was people in the Democratic Party, uh, uh, the DNC, that gave a lot of information to uh, uh, WikiLeaks. It wasn't uh, coming from the Russians. Uh, also, okay, people yeah, I, like I, I, I believe that, yes. 
If you like to call in, people, the number is 800-932-1980. Uh, you're listening to America Betrayed on the American Voice Radio Network. And uh, we have our guest, uh, Phil Berg, uh, a great man from uh, uh, Pennsylvania. He was the Deputy Attorney uh, uh, General of Pennsylvania. And we're talking about uh, this fraud, uh, uh, Obama. And like I said, uh, Trump has, only has four years to correct 40 years plus of what the Bushes and the Clintons have done to this country. And uh, they, they should be all put in front of a firing squad, every single one of them. They are enemy combatants, especially Obama. All this money that he gave to Iran, and then he does this to Israel. Israel's got a little speck of land amongst all these uh, uh, Muslim countries, and uh, they don't want the land. They just want to get rid of uh, uh, Israel, period. Right. That, that, that's all. They, they don't want a two-state thing. They want one state. They want a Palestine state. They want Israel out of the map. And how about the deal, the bad deal with Cuba? What did we get out of Cuba? We got nothing. They're still holding fugitives. And what did we get out of what we get out of Iraq? Iraq was a disgrace. You know. I know. I was wondering. I wanted to bring right back with you. One sec. Okay. I wanted to get uh, Frank. Uh, Frank Stephan. Frank, are you there? I am. Yeah, Frank, uh, you've heard us uh, talking about this, and we've talked about it before, especially with this Obama that's been going on for so many years. And I know there are a lot of people uh, that are against uh, Jews, uh, saying it's all the Jews' fault. It's the bad Jews, yes, uh, the bad Jews, but uh, there are so many good Jews, like uh, not all all blacks are niggers. Um, Listen, there's, there's bad people in every profession and every religion, but overall... Um, the Jewish people in Israel have done great things. The United States, um, Obama has just been against them for eight years. And now uh, Netanyahu from Israel says the United States was definitely involved in this resolution. And they're saying not. They pushed it. But even if they didn't push it, they should have abstained from this thing. And it's really nonsense what's going on. And how about what, what happened with Iran? That's the worst deal in the world. Frank, how do you feel about that? Well, you know, I, I mean, I have mixed feelings about Israel. i got nothing particularly against Israel, but what they're doing to the Palestinians, regardless of the status of the land, is wrong. Just the way they're being treated is wrong, because if it was wrong for the South Africans, then it's wrong for them, too. Uh, but what, what Obama did, uh, I mean... To abstain like that is is definitely a kick in the teeth to the state of Israel, and it's also a kick in the teeth to Donald Trump and all the people that voted for him. Because, you know, we expect, whether we like it or not, some people don't and some people do, but whether we like it or not, the United States is an ally of, of Israel. And, uh, you know, this is a... Um, you know, it's just a kick. It's just a dirty, nasty little petty trick that Obama's doing on his way out. Is the way I look at it. I mean, I don't know how damaging it's going to be because he's not going to be in there that much longer. Yeah, but Frank, well, and, and, uh, Frank I, I think it's going to be it's damaging because the resolution it doesn't just say it, it says go back to the land before. Uh, 1967, which is like a nine-mile stretch of land, and it, it hurts in the negotiation, the negotiations for a peace. Right now, they're saying, you know, 
to say, you know, there's nothing there. To, a lot less is there for negotiation. But it's a disgrace. And you know what I'm worried about, both of you? I'm worried about what else Obama's going to do in the next four weeks. Because look what he did the other day. He passed some resolution, which I think they could overturn. But you can't have drilling in the Arctic. You can't have drilling in the Atlantic Ocean. He's doing. He shouldn't be doing anything right now. I mean, but he's doing everything in his power to bring about things like he's pardoning tons of people, um, and and he's just going to do everything in his power to try to make it worse for Trump. But more important, as you said, it's not just Trump. It's for the uh, millions of people that voted for Trump and put him into office. I mean, when you have Dershowitz and you have uh, Schumer. Uh, against this thing, you know, but Obama doesn't care. He's over in Hawaii, and I think you mentioned at the beginning of the show what they spent $85 million on vacation. Um, I read something recently that uh, when Bush was in, um, Mrs. Bush, she had uh, one staff member, and I believe um, Michelle's had 22 or 24 staff members. I mean, they've just taken us down the, ho- down the uh, path of destruction. They've done whatever they've wanted. Uh, when they go on trips, they take all their friends, and they just uh, really milked our country. Well, what I really don't get is, uh, you know, the Palestinians offer a, a month's wages to anybody that will kill a Jew, and yet you're supposed to negotiate with a person like that. I, you know, I don't get it. There's, there's, uh, I don't know. Well, they, the Palestinians, they, they, they raise kids, their, their children are raised to hate Jewish people and to kill them and to do away with Israel. So how do you, how do you negotiate with someone like that? You can't. I mean, and then- no, you know, we we also have to look at the fact that, you know, people can say, oh, those people didn't exist. Well, they did exist, and they did live there, and it was called Palestine, and they are Palestinians. Now, I don't know how you would feel if somebody just marched in and said, oh, by the way, uh, 2,000 years ago we lived here, and now we're back, and the U.N. says, you got to get the hell out, and uh, we're going to put you in uh, slums, and we're going to build a wall, and we're going to be the boss of you now. Uh, I wonder how Americans would feel about an invader doing that. I don't think they'd be much nicer than the Palestinians are. Yeah, but you have to look at the overall picture. How many Arabs are actually living in Israel? There's an Arab that's on the um, uh, Israeli Supreme Court. I mean, Israel has developed lands and everything like that. They've done a lot and they've prospered here, and the, the Palestinians keep just shooting missiles at them. I mean, you got. I understand what you're saying, but there should be, should be some negotiations there, but I think America just took a lot of that away. Well, okay, you know, guys, yeah, uh, Obama guys we're, coming up on, we're coming up on break, and we can continue this after the break. Um, if you'd like to call in, the toll-free number is 800-932-1980. Uh, Rattlesnake Ray will be joining us uh, after the, uh, the break he, from Arizona. I think he'll have uh, his two cents worth uh, put in. And um, hope you can uh, join us after that. And let's hope we can get to the bottom of this and have the world live in peace. That's the only song I like about uh uh, imagine about John Lennon to have the world live in peace together. So here's the first song coming up. Hope you enjoy it, and we'll see you right after the break. I'm 
Radio. 
Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. just defended yourself with a gun. The police are called and you're potentially involved in a homicide, but it was self-defense. At this point, you are not in your right mind. No one ever is when they are in fear for their life and defend themselves. Anything you say can will be used in a court of law, both civilly and criminally. Fortunately, you have selfdefensefund.com. We are the National Association for Legal Gun Defense, and we protect our members nationally in all 50 states, up to $1 million per incident per member. Let us do the talking for you and visit selfdefensefund.com. Any weapon, any state, any time. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water.
Savvy Trade. You're listening to us on American Voice Radio Network. And also go to nationalwritersyndicate.com, www.nationalwritersyndicate, to uh, look at the preview of each each week's show. Also, if you'd like to call in, the toll-free number is 800-932-1980. Um, I guess uh, from the first uh, half hour, it's Phil Berg. Uh, we're talking about uh, uh, this fraud, Obama. Is the modernization of the United States, uh, which I feel they're trying to do for the whole world, what they're doing in Europe. Our government is infiltrated wholly right, by Muslims right now. Uh, either Obama, uh, not Obama, but uh, Trump is going to have to purge them because they're going to put everything they can in his way to stop him. He's only got four years. So they're going to create all these distractions to get him away from um, what he's supposed to do. Now, uh, Frank, uh, Stefan brought up an interesting point about uh, uh, Israel taking over that land. Uh, like, uh, we have a similar thing here in the United States. It's called Atzman. Uh, Mexico uh, calls uh, the southwestern territory Aslan, uh that we sold it from. We didn't steal it from them. We beat them in the war like uh, Israel did with uh, uh, the Muslims. But also we paid them uh, $15 million. Yeah, but there was some fine print in that also. In Arizona, for instance, it said if we did not subdue the Apaches, the land would uh, convert, uh, revert back to uh, uh, Mexico. And to show you how strong... Uh, our people felt about that, about keeping that land, is when uh, Roosevelt found out that uh, the Germans had sent a uh, telegram to Mexico, it's called the Zimmerman Telegram, uh, stating that they would help them get back Texas and the Southwest Territories if they would help uh, uh, fight the United States. Uh, and that's what really uh, prompted the, our president to get us in the war, along with a few other things. But that was, uh, I think, a pretty similar comparison. Uh, but before we go any further, I want to bring on uh, Rattlesnake Ray. He's been my co-host for many years. He's down the Arizona border, has a ranch down there. I wonder if it's done under control at all. Every time we go down there, there's always some gunfire or something going on. Let's find out what's going on. <laughs> Haven't you ever been able to catch that guy? Yeah, I'll tell you what, John, he's pretty darn fast. I mean, they sneak under the border and they take off running north, and when they uh, have the the lights of the United States in their eyes and all the benefits and the the, the money they're going to get and uh, the good living, uh, I guarantee you what, it's pretty hard to catch them. But uh, we, uh, we've got a few of them, but uh, I think there's probably... Well, let's see, it used to be, what, 2 million, we heard, then there was 4 million, then it got up to 8 million, and then all of a sudden it was 11 million for the longest time, and then uh, here not too long ago, I just, for, during the campaign, I heard the uh, Hildebeest actually came out, and she, probably a slip of the tongue, she said there's 16 million in the country, but talking with... Border Patrol agents down here, John, and uh, the uh, administration, the Border Patrol, that's trying to do something. They actually estimate since around this invasion started around 1992 or 94 that we're probably looking at $30 plus. I would have to agree with that. Yeah, Yeah, Ray, uh, our guest tonight is uh, Phil Berg. I think you remember Phil. He was on our show when we first started back in 2008. Uh, Say hello to Phil. Sure do. I, I, hey, Phil, how's it going? I haven't heard for you a long time. We'll always enjoy a little to, to, to talk with you. But, uh, 
Steve, John? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if he's... Uh, he was John there just Silver. before the... Did you, John Silver, did you want me back on? I, we got this connected. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just wanted you to say hello to uh, Ray. Yeah, he, he remembers you being on the show, uh, you know, many years ago. Okay. Yeah, I sure did. That's what I say. Phil, how are you doing? It was, it was always good talking with you, and uh, I, I hope you're doing good and everything. I, I, I do know that uh, you had a little bit more of that leaning toward the Democrat Party, so I hope that you're not sitting there with Play-Doh and, and puppy dogs or anything like that right now. I hope you've been able to. <laughs> now, I think the Democrats, they, they could better wake up because they're going down the wrong path. Obama and, and Hillary belong in jail for Benghazi. Uh, Hillary belongs in jail for the emails. Um, it's it's just a disgrace what they've done. There's more people on food stamps. Obama has ruined this country from day one, and this last thing with the United Nations is is unbelievable, you know. And it's you know, and now Obama's going to want to retaliate against Russia for election interference. What did he do against him with Crimea and Ukraine and then uh, uh, Syria? Nothing, you know. I mean, Obama's a joke, and and. I'm in the Jewish faith. How any Jewish person can still support Obama at this point shocks me, and I know some, and some I've been fighting with. He is, has done the worst to Israel, and he's done the worst to everyone in this country. He hasn't helped blacks. He hasn't helped anyone. Tell me one good thing he's done for this country. The only good thing that he's done, in my opinion, in eight years, as far as the Affordable Care Act, which Trump's going to pick up on, is no pre-existing conditions, and um, young people could stay on policies till 26. But I spoke to a young person a few weeks ago who's 24 and his parents' policy, and they're taking them off. You know why? Because the premium's too high. So, you know, it, it's just, um, he, he's been a disaster, and the whole world knows he's a fraud. The whole world knows he was born in Kenya, and we're the laughing stock of the world. Yeah, you know, and it's you're right. Now, one thing I wanted to bring up: I, I grew up in San Francisco, and uh, a very good friend of mine, childhood friend of mine, said she wants to get out of the city because it's just dirty, filthy, uh, all the homeless uh, and everything. But yet, uh, the housing there is absolutely incredible. I grew up in a neighborhood uh, uh, that was fairly inexpensive, uh, uh, called the Excelsior District, uh, in the outlying parts of uh, San Francisco, downtown San Francisco. And I was just looking at the prices of these houses. At one time, they were uh, they were purchased for seven thousand dollars, fourteen thousand uh, dollars. The house that I lived in was built in 1903, but yet the asking price now is eight hundred and thirty-three thousand dollars. I cannot find. And, and this is a low-priced neighborhood now. Uh, all you have now are the dot-com people. Uh, the Chinese who uh, come in, uh, the Filipinos who come in, have the, uh, all the money. The Asians, uh, the Chinese, are now running the city. You have the homosexuals who have all the money, and that's all it's going to be are these people that uh, have and have nots. And uh, she said, "You can't believe it. San Francisco looks so bad in the daytime. The only time it looks good is at night." Listen, John. John, I, I have to run, but a pleasure being on your show. For all your listeners out there, my book is called Obama Scare. It's available on Amazon. It goes into detail on everything about Obama, the fraud, phony, liar, and imposter he is. He, he was born in Kenya. His parents divorced. His mother remarried. He was adopted in Indonesia. He's a total fraud. Benghazi, I discussed. He belongs in jail for Benghazi, and and just. It's a pleasure being on with you, and I look forward to being on your show again. And, Ray, nice talking to you on Friday. 
All right, guys. You too, you, you <laughs> too Phil, and uh, Happy New Year to you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Phil. Yeah, and uh, it's becoming a, a country of have and have-nots, and that's exactly what they, they want to do. Uh, also, I had to go down to uh, South Florida fairly recently to see the grandkids, and we uh, checked into a hotel close to them. We got a pretty good deal on it. But then I found out that the parking meters, it's $4 an hour for a parking meter. Uh, total ripoff. This is, uh, you know, Miami Beach. Uh, total, total ripoff. I mean, it's just outrageous. The only people that can afford it are the Europeans coming there, wherever they're coming in from. Uh, they, they, they could care less. I mean, the hotel is three, four hundred dollars a night, uh, which is outrageous. Yeah, but I saw what happened to San Francisco, and that's exactly what the, they want to do in this country. Yeah, but the blacks and the Muslims are being used to destroy the white race. Uh, because they're too stupid to realize that uh, uh, communism is the highest form of uh, slavery. Would you agree, Ray? Oh, definitely, John. And, and you know what? It, this is, uh, I've always said this is the plan that started a long, long, long time ago. Um, every TV show that you turn on for out of Hollywood, I mean, Hollywood, I, I just, at this day and age, and maybe it's turning a little bit that people aren't watching uh, as much of this. Hollywood crap that comes out anymore. You know, they're full of just self-loathing, American-hating, leftist, commie weirdos. And every single thing that you see come out of Hollywood, every person that is black or any person in a position of authority is black. And the Hollywood portrays the uh, white people, the white actors, uh, you know, the police department has always got the black commissioner thing. The blacks are put in a position of superiority in order to make white people look like a bunch of kicks and dumbasses. And I think this has been going on so much, and, and because people, for some reason, don't have enough, uh, you know, IQ or whatever to just distinguish Hollywood fantasy from reality. Well, they've been dumbed down. Yeah, they've been dumbed down. I mean, this newer generation, yeah. I can't believe how stupid they are. And, and uh, also, uh, all they want is gimme, gimme, gimme. Uh, you know, we deserve it and everything else. And uh, we've actually created a monster. Before I, we, uh, I forget, I want to make sure that people keep boycotting CNN, uh, Target, uh, CNN, the Communist News Network, which was started by uh, uh, Ted Turner and his uh, commie piece of crap wife, uh, Jane Fonda. Also, MSNBC, uh, Target, the ones the sodomites in the, in the uh, bathrooms. Also, uh, the Sani yogurt, uh, headed up by a Muslim who wants to bring in millions of more Muslims. He doesn't care about us. Uh, Starbucks only wants sodomites in there. And there's a few others. If you see a TV show that's just all blacks, uh, don't watch it. If you see any uh, commercial that features only blacks, uh, don't buy the product. That's the only way they're going to understand this, because they got away with it in uh, South Africa. And go ask some of the white people over there how they like uh, living under uh, black rule over there. Uh, so, Ray, um, what's, what's the latest on, there, on the border? I mean, is it still pretty much the same, or... Uh, has it increased or, or what since uh, they see that? Uh, yeah, John, you know, it's a 24-hour, 365-day-a-year uh, constant assault against this country from Mexico. And uh, that's part of the plans. I mean, Mexico is basically a narco-terrorist state right now. The, the 
the Mexican government, if anybody doesn't know, is is one of the biggest drug cartels, or is the biggest, most powerful drug cartel in the entire country. Yeah, yeah, but they don't. Uh, they, they they never stop, John. It's just an, an unending assault against our country right now. As a matter of fact, I you know I'm not involved with all this internet stuff because I think, like you said, it's it's everything. It's me, me, me. Look at me and our whatever these. You know, every every woman you see on there has got some pouty lip or whatever. You know, looks like them idiot Kardashians. But uh, they actually had a friend of mine who actually showed me uh, right up here, we drove 25 miles north of where I live in a, in a town right next to the Fort Huachuca military base, Sierra Vista, Arizona. Some Mexican girl had her picture on there, and the big face tag, her Facebook tag, well, it was, does anybody know a good immigration lawyer? Now, what she basically has to do is try to lawyer up to keep in, uh, to stay in this country illegally. You know, they came here illegally. They knowingly broke a law crossing into this country, and, John, they, they started this invasion 20, 25 years ago, and it has never stopped. And right now, to this very day, it is never-ending. I can go out. I live one mile north of the Mexican border right now. I used to live right on it, but I, I, I just couldn't, uh, I, I just couldn't defend myself uh, from all points at that time. I carried guns constantly, but uh, and I still do. I got one sitting in front of me right now. But uh, well, Ray, they, they, they never stopped, John. That's on purpose because look what happened here. They said, well, Hillary got the popular vote uh, by three million. It was all illegals voting in uh, in California. And like I said earlier in the show, uh, when Phil was on, that uh, you know they'll get to, they they they've tipped the uh, the scale. They cannot vote us, and if they get rid of the electoral college uh, next time, they will uh, you know uh, get back in and undo everything that uh, Trump has done. He's only got four years to get all these Muslims purged out of the government. He doesn't know which. Uh, yeah, well maybe he does, but you know there's so many like uh, Paul Ryan and. and Oh, the rhinos yeah. there. You know, John, it's interesting that you're saying that. Here's something that just came up that I just found out about, oh, oh two months ago, that uh, it is a plan by the leftist socialist Democrats, the communists in this country. Um, the plan was to try to get as many people as they could in this country. We all know that in order to vote for uh, Obama and then Hillary. Now, uh, what the Border Patrol agents are telling me, John, is... The, our politicians, our leftist, liberal, left-wing, communist Democrats in this country have uh, under, it's what's called the breeding program. There's nothing written down. But, John, they're looking right now at what they call the breeding program. And what that is is they've gotten the amount of people they can in this country. Say Trump builds the wall. Well, now if they have 30 million in here, and the, the legal age of consent for sexual consent in Mexico is 12 years old for a, a girl, and, and and I have actually witnessed 12 and 13 year old girls with Mexican families that are just ecstatic. They're having, uh, they're pregnant, and they're looking for, uh, you know, baby showers. Just, uh, I mean, I mean, it's just unbelievable the, the difference in their culture. They say everybody's the same. Well, we'll get, we're not all the same, but. Uh, now they're looking at the breeding program. These leftist, Marxist, commie Democrats have found out that, all right, if Trump was to build a wall, but if these people can continue staying out of this country, 
they can breed us out of uh, votes right now. And that is an actual, and uh, that comes from Border Patrol Administration. They, they actually know this. Well, they did it in California, right? Uh, you know, Hillary, uh, after all the, the, the smoke clear, she got three million extra votes in, uh, from, all from California because they're all illegals. Jerry Brown, that commie piece of crap out there, uh, gave him the right to uh, vote in our elections. One of the things Trump should do is make it a federal crime uh, to uh, vote in an election. Uh, you know what the dreamers are, right? The dreamers, oh, for sure. Uh, that's the kids that came here because their parents brought them here and they're, they're saying, you know, we should don't break up the families. Well, you know, deport the whole families. But the only concession I would give on that is, look, uh, if you're a dreamer and if you've committed a crime or you're on the government dole, uh, you are deported. It's, it's that simple because, uh, well, you know. And you know the other thing on that, John, uh, also, if uh, I think that if you snuck into this country illegally under the cover of darkness, underneath the, the barbed wire fence that separates Arizona from Mexico or the river, I mean, you snuck under the fence like a skulking coyote. You knew you were breaking the law. If you're in this country, um, as long as you've done that, if you've come in here illegally, which they have, then you forfeit your right to vote. You have no yeah. right to vote whatsoever. And I don't think your children should have a right to vote until they've been vetted or they've been, you know, this anchor baby stuff is a bunch of bull. You know, maybe 25 years. Yeah. Well, I, I understand the court ruled that uh, they, they are not uh, citizens, uh, uh, these anchor babies, and that's the way they uh, uh, gain control. Uh, well, you Frank, know, down there, they're crying and talking. Ray, I wanted to bring uh, Frank on for a last. He might have something to end before uh, he has to depart. Uh, Frank, you there? Yeah. Well, you know, the whole anchor baby thing is... Uh you know, the Supreme Court ruled that, well, you know, uh, uh, the 14th Amendment, but um, it doesn't wash, and they got it really wrong, and it was a political thing. And, and they also have a theory there in the Supreme Court, if you're a bank robber, and you go rob the bank, and you get away with the money, and uh, you decide you're going to go buy a house and a boat and a car, and you do, and now you don't have the money anymore. But they come by, and they go, hey, you know... Uh, we know you robbed the bank, you're under arrest. Well, you don't get to keep the boat and the car and the, and the, and the house. They, that all gets seized because it is poisoned fruit from a poisoned tree. In other words, any, any kind of gain from a crime is poison. It's part of the crime. So if illegals are dropping kids in the United States... They're here illegally. That child is here illegally. Okay? It, it, it's their theory, all right? And then they turn around and go, well, you know. And then there's the other part that the 14th Amendment says anybody under the jurisdiction. Well, if you're here illegally, you are not under the jurisdiction of the United States. You are a citizen of another country. You're under their jurisdiction. No matter where you go, you're breaking in here illegally. You know, I mean, that's why we got FBI agents all over the world. Nice. Very good. Yeah, right. and, and, and you know, Frank, what they say to you, well, you're breaking up families. Well, guess what? When you decided to uh, to flee your home country, the country of allegiance to America, to come up here to the United States, you broke up a, a family down there. They left, they broke up a family. You know, why you've been here, why don't you take the skills that you learned here in the United States and go back to Mexico and see if you can better 
your own country because they're, uh, I mean, you got allegiance to Mexico, so go back to Mexico and take your skills that you learned up here and see what you can do to better your own country. Well, you know, I'm, I'm tired of hearing that crap at all. I don't care about their broken up families any more than I care that, oh, right. gee, uh, uh, the bank robber's going to go to prison and we're breaking up his family too. How come yeah, everybody's not right. crying about that? Top. 100%. Anybody that commits a crime like that, it, 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 oh, it, I mean, just what you said. How can you say that? And you know the thing I've always said, Frank, in the United States of America, oh, well, these people want to come up. They want to this and that and that. These people don't want to be Americans. They want to be Mexicans living in the United States of America, taking what they can from this country and actually not really giving anything back. All right, or you give a little bit of labor back. You know the, the odd thing about it was that uh, we had at one time the United in America before it was the United States of America, the most powerful army in the world at that time, the British Army, and they they were they were tyrants and oppressive toward the people who wanted to make a country, and we had farmers, backwoodsmen, whatnot, picked up their muskets, their deer rifles, their squirrel rifles, and beat. The most powerful army in the world and sent them back 4,000 miles away, back over to England. Now, yeah. why don't they, these Mexicans have any type of pride? Do that in your own country. That's well, what pride is. But, you know, the whole right, thing yeah. is there's a saying. There's a saying, why, why should I buy the cow if I'm getting free milk? And yeah, that's, yeah, and that's like what the Mexicans are doing here. Uh, they're, you know, they're just taking us out on a date and screwing us real good, and they're never going, <laughs> and funny. they're never going to marry us. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, Ray. Uh, sorry that you, you know your your leg is healing uh, uh, very good. I hope uh, we we may get you a new type of saddle. You know that. Uh, <laughs> That's the second time you broke broken the leg down there, so maybe we I think I need one, John, called a big F-350 uh, King Ranch uh, edition. That's the type of saddle I need. <laughs> really? Okay, well, Ray, uh, you know, stay safe down there. Uh, we're coming up on the end of the show. Um, and, uh, you know, just keep your eyes and ears open what's going on. Thanks, uh, Frank, for coming on uh, uh, Frank hasn't talked to you, I don't think, uh, since. Uh, well, maybe he did talk to you during the break. But also, uh, go check out my books, uh, Posan and Dead Angel, on Amazon.com. Dead Angel is about growing up with Jerry Garcia. Posan is about my alien encounter that went on for 10 years. Uh, check it out. And again, www.theamericanvoice.com. Uh, and also, uh, we also have uh, uh, the website to go to to check. Uh, for the next week's show will be on there each time that's uh, uh, check that one out and uh, we're like I said coming up on the end I hope you enjoyed it uh, check with us next week Bad Woman will be back next uh, next week and uh, good night sure. uh, Frank. happy new year to all just good patriotic Americans John uh, you and Frank I think it's gonna I think we're gonna have the next great I think we're going to go past four, and we're going to go into eight years, so it's going to be a, a good time. Great Happy New Year. I'm sorry. Good night.
Uh, you've made a serious investment in protecting yourself and your family. You've purchased the gun, the ammunition, the training, and even secured a license to carry in your state. You know the Constitution and don't believe you should have to pay for a right that you already have, as written in the Second Amendment, but you are law-abiding. Now you are considering the legal defense options you should have if you ever have to use a firearm. Self-Defense Fund is a comprehensive litigation membership backing you on appeals, legal expenses, court costs, and more, up to $1 million per incident and unlimited attorney costs per member. Discover selfdefensefund.com for yourself. Any weapon, any state, any time. Hello, I'm Gary Wilcox with Pet Floors of Houston. We specialize in luxury vinyl tile installations for your home or your office. We sell a high-performance floor that is perfect for anyone who has dogs or cats or is trying to get a floor that just looks beautiful without nearly the maintenance that other floors have. It's a heavy-duty commercial PVC product. It looks like wood or stone or tile. This is a floor choice that you find major retailers have in their stores or intimate cafe or even your fast food restaurants. The adhesive that we use is waterproof. The product is waterproof, and so therefore, you can use a bleach water solution, clean it right up, and you're back to normal. It doesn't hold any odor, it's realistic, it's hygienic, it's affordable, and there's no click, click, click noise on it when you walk on this floor. It's just amazing. We've been in this house for about eight years, and we've had some hardwood floors down, and it was really one of those things where they were looking worn and needed to be refinished, and we were really looking for an alternative. We found Gary with that floor, so he came out and measured it.
Texas, a man who calls it like he sees it, without the normal political correctness you may have grown comfortable with. It's time for the Texas Perspective on current news and events. This show is not for the faint of heart or easily offended. Chances are you will learn something and along the way get to hear some great music from bands you may have missed. The doctor is in and he will see you now. Well, I guess we better get on with it. We're doing it right here on the amazing Doc Green Show, American Voice Radio, Raging Elephants Radio, YouTube, Facebook, TuneIn Radio. Did I mention that? TuneIn Radio? That way you can take it with you wherever you go on whatever smart device you may be privy to own. So we're doing all of these things. We're doing it all at one time, and we are just glad to have you today on the show. want to get right down to it we got a lot of problems going on here in Texas, a lot of malfeasance. It's sort of an un-Texas, un-Texas-like thing to do, you know. It's just, I, I'm bummed. I'm totally bummed out about it. Mayor Mike Rollins is, uh, of Dallas is blaming the former pension administration for a grave breach of trust, but it's unclear exactly whose fault this is. Uh, DPS, of course, is investigating whether criminal behavior at least partially contributed to the multi-billion dollar shortfall facing Dallas police and fire and pensions. Texas Ranger spokesman declined on Friday to provide more details about the investigation, which comes as Dallas first responders and city officials continue grappling with the financial and legal and public relations fallout over the years-long unraveling of the pension fun woes which are threatening Dallas City Hall's overall finances. Let's face it, guys, Dallas is about to become Detroit. And we'll get going here on YouTube as well. Dallas is about to become Detroit, guys. They are in deep doo-doo up there in Dallas, quite frankly. And Dallas Mayor Mike Rawlings, of course, now he's the one that's having to deal with this. May or may not be any of his fault. But he said Friday that uh, he asked DPS, that would be that today, excuse me, he said today that he asked DPS to launch the investigation into unspecified conduct that he believes may rise to the level of criminal offenses. The statement said the mayor would not be available for comment, however, after making his initial comments. Initial comments. A spokesman for the mayor said there's not going to be anybody there until after New Year's, so don't even bother making the phone call. Texas Rangers confirmed this investigation into the manor, however. Rawlings uh, sent his spokesperson, Scott Goldstein, and Goldstein said, I really can't comment on the investigation. I can't tell you where it's going to focus. I can't tell you whether it's on previous system admins or that the mayor, for that matter, might be involved because there has been a grave breach of trust here. Anyone brazen enough to commit crimes that harm those who sacrifice so much to keep our city safe must be brought to justice, said Mayor Rawlings in conjunction with that statement. He also said he's worked in close cooperation with the FBI regarding the pension woes. The agency earlier this year served a search warrant on the offices of the pension system's former advisors. Goldstein said he couldn't comment on whether or not the new investigation would be looking at real estate investments 
in which former pension fund leaders were heavily invested. Hmm. A 2013 investigation by the Dallas Morning News found such investments, which included luxury properties, to be an unusual strategy considering they represented about half of the system's assets. Now, from a personal standpoint, I can tell you this I know about real estate. If you really want to build wealth, you build wealth in real estate. So it's entirely possible these guys are actually doing something good for the city of Dallas that may have gone awry. But that said, among large public pension funds, the median real estate allocation is usually less than 5%. And these investments are more typically in properties such as office and apartment buildings, which produce steady rental income. An audit later found out that the fund had lost $196 million on risky real estate ventures, including a California vineyard and luxury homes in Hawaii. Hmm. The ventures prompted the fund staffers and board members to travel extensively over the years, trips they said were necessary to scope out and protect the investments. I don't know. I'm starting to smell a rat here. What about you guys? I'm starting to say, what the heck? Yeah, let me see. You you want to go to California, so you buy a vineyard. You want to go to Hawaii, so you buy you know some property in Hawaii. Now, you've got to go on business trips to visit these properties in order to make sure they're doing all right. And you don't want to do it in a haphazard way, so you probably want to take, you know, a couple of weeks at a time to go out and visit these investments and make sure they're doing well. You think? Anyway, the ventures have prompted the fund staffers and board members to travel extensively over the years. Necessary trips, they say. They traveled to the Napa area more than any other out-of-state destination, making 45 trips there from 2009 to 2012. It is unclear how many cases of wine were purchased to make sure that the production was up to quality. But uh, amid questions over how the fund was managed, former pension and admin guy uh, Richard Tentament stepped down in 2014. The investments have not been the sole source of the pension system problems, however. Rawlings previously called for a halt to lump sum withdrawals from the fund after police and firefighters pulled out more than $500 million for the system. Now, my question would be, why not? I mean, let's, let's, uh, let's get real here. Did these guys put their money into the system with the expect of getting a return plus interest? I mean, not something you'd get from Social Security. Obviously, Social Security is a scam designed to benefit members of government uh, at the uh, expense of the commoner who pays the money in and has no expectation of even getting his principal back, let alone getting back what he paid in. I mean, uh, let alone getting an, an increase on his investment. That's just the way it is. So, back to the story. These bad investments may not be the sole source of the pension system problems. It's the lump sum withdrawals. Hmm. But then on the other hand, if the money was properly invested, that, sh that money should be available. It should be there. It's your money. You earned it. You worked for it. You should get it back. Credit rating of financial analysis by the Moody firm earlier this year ranked the nation's most debt-burdened local governments based on pension shortfalls compared to annual operating revenues. 
And Dallas came in number two with an estimated $7.6 billion pension shortfall. And, of course, uh, the good news is the Democrats that run Dallas are working on being number one because we're in Texas, and Texas should be number one. And since Dallas is home of the Cowboys, then we should be number one in pension debt, too. We should owe more money than anyone. Houston, on the other hand, came in looking fairly good at only number four in the debt load. But Houston, once again, looking at the way things worked in Detroit, and I've talked about it before, we hired a Detroit city manager down here to handle some of that stuff, um, at least the same company that managed their pension funds, to handle Houston's pension funds, assuming they'd get the same result that Detroit got, I guess. Dallas has also had its credit rating downgraded multiple times in recent years, in large part due to pension funding shortfalls. Dallas officials earlier this month suggested they may have to turn to the state for help and get the rest of the state taxpayers involved in paying for their malfeasance. The Texas House Pension Committee released a report that made it clear the state is not likely to give them any money. You know why? Because the state's broke, too. We don't have any money in the state coffers. So the committee suggested the cities use pension-obligated bonds or large lump-sum payments to help shore up these funds. This is malfeasance at its best, guys. Shouldn't be happening. This is what happens when you allow Democrats to run something. On the other hand, the Republicans, i got to tell you, aren't much better. They're not much better. But Democrats are really, really good at this. They're really good at it. They know how to steal money from the public, and they can flat do it, my friends. So that's what's going on up in Dallas as we strive to reach the levels of Detroit. I just don't know what it would take to get something that even indicates that they're interested in doing a good job here. I don't I don't know what it takes. I mean, it's it's like I've said before, everything the government touches just turns to crap. It's the Midas touch in reverse. I can't think of anything that government does well. I suppose that we would like to have a police department. I suppose that we would like to have a fire department. But anything that government touches just gets screwed up. And, I mean, this is a case where they can't even – they're taking this money out of the guy's checks. They're putting it into allegedly a bank account somewhere. If they're putting that money in there, can't they just keep their hands off of it? Now, admittedly, there's been no interest earnings for some time because thanks to Barack and St. Obama and the people that elected him, there's been no economic growth now for almost 10 years. This goes back to when Nancy Pelosi got the checkbook, and that's when we went into a period of recession. Some would call it near depression, uh, looking at the numbers, in many cases worse than the actual depression. It's just that we borrowed so much stinking Chinese money that uh, most of us have not completely felt those levels of depravity yet. But still, that's where we are. So even, even the money invested in these pension funds has not been making any money because of the low, low, low interest rates. Thank God Donald Trump has been elected. 
And as my friend Lydia said today earlier, we need to be praying for Donald Trump. We need to be praying, first of all, for his safety and his family. We need to be praying for him to have wisdom. We need to be praying for his advisors to have wisdom. Otherwise, they'll start acting like that, uh, that idiot Barack Obama, that Mac Daddy Barack Obama, that guy that, quite frankly, could not have run a shoeshine stand profitably, who has been our president now for the last eight years, a guy whose resume probably couldn't have gotten him a job uh, managing a, uh, a little uh, convenience store, let alone uh, something as big as the United States. So how do we solve the problem of public corruption? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Barack Obama, the communist organizer. Thank you, Frank. How do we solve this problem with public corruption? I am thinking public floggings should be brought back. If you elect public officials and they screw up and they don't do a good job, I think they, uh, maybe we should just have a trial, invite most of the city, let them take a vote and flog these guys. You might say, well, that would have a real chilling effect on anyone running for these offices. Yeah, I think it should. But I also believe there's probably somebody out there that really cares that will come in and do this job right. You know, somebody like a Donald Trump. And the reason why I use Donald Trump as an example is Donald Trump did not need the job. Donald Trump has plenty of money. Donald Trump's got houses and land all across the globe. He could be just kicking back, enjoying his beautiful wife, Melania, enjoying his beautiful grandchildren, and raising his uh, young son. That's what Donald Trump could be doing, should be doing, and would be doing, except for he realized the United States was about to be flushed down the toilet by uh, that unfortunate uh, half-white guy, President. Once again, I hope the story on that is someday, one day, told. Here's a guy with a, uh, a forged birth certificate, a forged draft card, uh, of uncertain parentage, we're pretty sure that Frank Marshall Davis was actually his father, but we really don't know who had all of his uh, upper education records sealed for 50 years so that nobody could look at those and know who this guy really was. So they couldn't talk about, for instance, maybe if he even ever attended class, the poor grades he got, the fact that this guy probably doesn't even really have a high school education. So we'll never know that, but one day I hope that story gets told. I truly do. In the meantime, I'm going to take a quick break here, play a little music, and then we'll be right back. we got a lot more. Let's see if anybody knows who that band is.
Oh, yeah. What if anybody knows who that is? Better stop that. It's going to keep on playing. There we are. We got it. The Doc Green Show. And something just went wrong on YouTube. Not quite sure what happened there. Probably too many people trying to get in there at one time, but it's back up now. So there we are. Good deal. So join me on YouTube, guys. Uh, hashtag Amazing Doc Green Show on YouTube. Now, for all of the folks listening out there in Fredericksburg, Texas, we're going to be there on January the 12th and the 13th. We're going to be live broadcasting from the Tejas Smoke Depot. The Tejas Smoke Depot. And I hope you guys are going to come on by and join us. It's going to be a good time. Um, I'm looking forward to having you there. Probably have a few goodies for you. But we're looking forward to meeting a lot of the folks in Fredericksburg. So spread the word. Tell all your friends to come out. Uh, we we are going to have to limit this to 100 people. So uh, the first 100 folks are going to get inside. It's going to be like a Donald Trump convention, right? So the first 100 folks are going to get inside. And um, <laughs> I know the man, staff management right now at Smoke Depot is saying, where are you going to put 100 people in here? No, all right. Anyway, we want you all to come by and have a good time. And we'll look forward to uh, to meeting you down there in Fredericksburg. Former controller Susan Combs, yeah, she. You guys probably know who she is. A lovely lady. She's about six uh, three. She's very tall, and uh, she is meeting today with President-elect Donald Trump as he continues to weigh his options for agricultural secretary. Now, personally, I'm leading towards Sid. Okay, I think Sid's going to be a better option here. But nonetheless, Susan Combs, a striking lady with really good experience from Texas, and she will be meeting with Trump today, said transition spokesman Jason Miller. Donald Trump is spending his holidays at the Mar-a-Lago Resort in Florida. And Susan Combs, who met with uh, Mike Pence earlier this month, uh, is joining now Commissioner Sid Miller and a couple of others on that list, including Elsa Morano, former president of Texas A&M uh, University. I think A&M stands for American-Mexican. Uh, she met Wednesday with Trump at Mar-a-Lago. Thursday night, uh, DTN, which is an agricultural news site, first reported that Susan Combs was expected to meet with Trump today, citing a member of the president-elect's agricultural advisory committee. Donald Trump's going to meet with another Texan on Friday, U.S. Rep. Henry Bonilla. Henry Bonilla, uh, Republican for San Antonio, according to the transition team. Bonilla represented Texas 23rd District from 93 to 2007 and currently serves on Trump's National Hispanic Advisory Council. Very important because, as you know, all Hispanics look, act, and think alike. And so that's why you have to have a Hispanic guy to be in charge of the Hispanic Council to deal with all of the look-alike, think-alike, you know, groupthink Hispanics. I mean, it doesn't really matter if you're, for instance, a Puerto Rican. It doesn't really matter if you're actually from Spain. It doesn't really matter if you're a Mexican or a Colombian or El Salvadoran or a Cuban or a Puerto Rican. Uh, all Hispanics look, talk, and act the same. Therefore, you have to have a Hispanic Advisory Council so that all of these people that are grouped together in one group, uh, we, I know some of you guys are having a little chuckle out there right now. 
So anyway, he's to, he's going to talk with uh, Henry Bonilla as well. So I wanted to pass that information on to you here on the Doc Green Show. Meanwhile, the Texas Supreme Court has agreed to hear a lawsuit between Wallace Hall and Chancellor Bill McRaven, otherwise known as Admiral McRaven. Admiral McRaven, as you know, is a dyed-in-the-wool liberal. Admiral McRaven, I mean, if he got to be Admiral, obviously he's got some political skills. There's no getting around that. But the guy's a stinking liberal, which makes him perfect to be the head of the UT system. And speaking of which, uh, I was a UT alumnus. So uh, back in the uh, early 80s, I was a music major at the University of Texas, San Antonio. So as, as the end of University of Texas Regent Wallace Hall's controversial tenure nears, the Texas Supreme Court has agreed at the last minute to hear arguments in his lawsuit against the chancellor of the system that he oversees. Now, Wallace Hall, as you know, is sort of a folk hero here in Texas. I, I uh, don't know Wallace Hall, but I have met him and talked to him, got my picture took with him. And uh, Wallace Hall has been kind of a folk hero, particularly here at Raging Elephants Radio. And the reason he's a hero is because he got in there and he discovered malfeasance going on in the university system. He discovered that those people that were well-placed in the university system, particularly the uh, people in the Texas House and the Texas Senate, uh, that had uh, moronic children, uh, you know, children that were poorly brought up and otherwise uneducated and, and lacking the ability to do anything well, uh, they were going to uh, over to the UT system and perhaps uh, even with Admiral McRaven himself saying, hey, uh, look, I know you only got so many seats over there, but I really need my kid to graduate from UT, okay? So can you, like, uh, give me a spot for him over there? Yeah, well, that turned out to be happening, and Wallace Hall blew the whistle on it. Well, then steps in Joe Strauss, the rhino himself, the chief rhino, the head rhino of Texas. Joe Strauss, the Speaker of the Texas House, allegedly a Republican, but otherwise communist in every other way. And Joe Strauss stepped in and went to Rick Perry and said, I want this guy fired now. He's ruining everything for me over here. I got, I, got a, I got a system, you know what I mean? And he's ruining the whole deal. So how am I going to get friends, children into the school, considering the fact they have no academic ability, how am I going to get them in there? If this guy's in there, you know, pointing this out, screwing it all up for me, I want him fired right away. Well, Rick Perry didn't fire him. And there was a big to-do. And a lot of stuff got exposed that was never supposed to see the light of day. So now we got Chancellor McRaven, who, by the way, uh, another, another thing about Chancellor McRaven for my new listeners, Chancellor McRaven hates this whole idea of licensed gun owners being able to carry a weapon on a UT campus. Just, oh, he abhors it. So, um, Anyway, the state's high court Friday said it will hear oral arguments on this January 11th over whether Chancellor Admiral Bill McRaven should be legally compelled to hand over confidential student records that Wallace Hall has sought for more than a year 
and they've been saying, no, that's we we can't expose these little darlings' privacy. We can't let folks know that some of these kids got in based on who their parents were and not who they were. But uh, that'll leave very little time for Doc, for, uh, I don't know if he's a doctor or not, but for Wallace Hall to get what he wants. Because his term as regent expires in February. And after that, his claim to the records ends. And, of course, that was the whole point. I mean, Admiral Bill McRaven, a uh, Clinton lover for sure, has uh, learned some lessons from the Clintons. He said, what you got to do is you got to obfuscate and stall and put up roadblocks and just make it last, because if you can just make it last long enough, it will go away. Well, I'm going to hit this break, and i got to finish the rest of this story for you on the Amazing Doc Green Show. So take it away, Frank. on your car. You don't know the big difference there's going to be until you've had the work done. I thought my system was working fine, but now it's better than ever. Galen Beattie did it for me, and he'll do it for you. Good servicing will not only keep your system performing well during the sweltering summers here in Houston, but it will save you money year after year. In my case, it cut my AC power consumption by 20%. Do what I did. Have Galen Beattie set up regular AC maintenance to cut your energy bill and prevent system failure at the worst time. And what's better than being comfortable and saving money? Whether you need a basic tune-up or it's time to put in a new super-efficient system, you should call BDAC, 281-222-9591. That's 281-222-9591 to schedule an AC system tune-up. BDAC and Heat. That's B-E-E-D-E-A-C and Heat.com. BDAC and Heat.com. You've just defended yourself with a gun. You've been booked for manslaughter, but it was self-defense. You go to court. Your bail is set at $100,000, but the legal defense you subscribe to doesn't cover that much. You still have legal jeopardy ahead, which would wind up costing even more money and time, and now you're beginning to really worry. Self-Defense Fund provides bail up to $100,000. We are a comprehensive litigation membership, backing you on appeals, legal expenses, court costs, and more. Discover selfdefensefund.com for yourself. Any weapon, any state, any time. Here's an important message from Vita Scientific. If you have high 
high blood sugar or type 2 diabetes, these are serious medical issues that require immediate attention. Did you know that it's possible to actually reverse high blood sugar and diabetes by using simple, natural products proven to balance your blood sugar? It's time to do what I did. Take control of your life. Vita Scientific's clinically tested formula will help you to feel healthy and energetic. These breakthrough supplements, along with small changes in your diet and exercise plan, may be the answer you've been looking for to set you on the path to optimal health. These products will not interfere with your current medical treatments, so start getting excited about feeling great again. Please visit VitaScientific.com or call Vita Scientific at 210-520-8432. That's 210-520-8432 to learn more. Tell them Doc Green sent you and get 50% off your first order. Call now. Show discussing Admiral McRaven and the uh, lawsuit between him and Wallace Hall. Wallace Hall, as I mentioned earlier, sort of a folk hero around here, Raging Elephants Radio, exposing malfeasance and uh, trying to do something about it. But General McRaven, excuse me, Admiral McRaven is having nothing to do with it. Doesn't like it at all, and uh, would like to get back to the good old boy system. Pardon me while I fill this up. Oh, that's good. No, it's not beer. It's uh, coconut water, LaCroix coconut water, for those of you watching on YouTube. And uh, I love this stuff. So anyway... The uh, records that Wallace Hall wants to see to prove his theory have been withheld by Admiral McRaven. The records are all related to admissions, and Hall says he just wants to learn more about uh, how many of these children were involved in the UT Austin scandal. Uh, you know, those with powerful connections who were admitted to a flagship university even though they didn't have the qualifications to be there. Now, in, in the defense of Admiral Bill McRaven... I would prefer that the children of our legislators, our elected officials, uh, get in there, into there, instead of giving those positions to illegal aliens, which is where they usually go. So I guess you got a choice between illegal aliens getting them or uh, simply the children of the powerful and privileged. I guess I'd rather that they go to the powerful and privileged because I don't like the idea of educating illegal aliens on my tax dollars, but that's just me. may not be you. Uh, General McRaven has, excuse me, Admiral McRaven has offered redacted versions saying he needs to protect student information. However, handing over a piece of paper where every, bl every blank has been blacked out, I don't know if that's uh, the right way to handle it or not. So, uh, the full UT System Board of Regents has agreed, because they're all part of the good old boy network, the plutocracy, if you will, and voted to deny those records. But Wallace Hall argues that the denial is illegal and warn illegal filings that it sets a dangerous precedent. And I agree with Wallace Hall. That's why he's a folk hero around here, because 
sunlight is the greatest disinfectant known to man. I mean, you can have your bleaches and, and all that stuff, and yes, those are great disinfectants, but sunlight is the best disinfectant of all, and especially when it comes to politicians and anything that uh, uh, public officials are doing, like Admiral Bill McRaven. A little sunlight here would be a good idea. If you're not doing anything wrong, who cares? Put it out there. Let's take a look at it. No, this is not like a violation of the Fourth Amendment, for those of you that have already gone there, because this is a case of public officials with public records, with public money, refusing to show you what's behind the curtain. On the other hand, they expect you to uh, get rid of the window tint on your house, on your car, get rid of all your curtains, uh, because they want to see everything that you do, these public officials. So uh, Wallace Hall has argued in his legal filing that he cannot fulfill an oversight role unless he has access to the information that he has requested, and how do you argue with that? You put this guy in charge as a regent, his idea, I mean, his whole job is to make sure that there's no malfeasance going on here, and then you don't give him access to any of the records, or if you give him the records, they're all blanked out. What are you hiding, Bill McRaven? What are you hiding? The oral arguments will bring a fitting end to uh, Wallace Hall's tenure, and I'm saying Wallace Hall's tenure should not end at this point, but... He's been a controversial presence on the board for years because he has been asking hard questions, not unlike yours truly. And so the critics have accused him of conducting a witch hunt. Oh, yeah, that's what it is, a witch hunt. Against the top UT Austin plutocracy when he asked for hundreds of thousands of pages of records so he could look through there and see exactly how these people got admitted to the schools. Supporters say he's helped uncover many troubling facts about university admission and other areas. Man, I'm telling you, Wallace Hall, a hero to everyone in Texas, a real man. Wallace, I salute you, buddy. So uh, we hope that uh, we hope that he wins on this. But once again, he's uh, going up. When you're going up against the plutocracy. They pretty much have the judgeships. And once you've got that, well, it's pretty hard to turn anything around. And, of course, we've covered plenty of that here on the Amazing Doc Green Show, Raging Elephants Radio and American Voice Radio. Meanwhile, Donald Trump, my good buddy, I love Donald Trump, and I've supported him since before he got in the race. I was one of the guys out there saying, run, Donald, run. So uh, just in the interest of full disclosure, I am a Donald Trump supporter. <clears throat> I'm also a Republican Party precinct chair. I know those two things don't necessarily go together in Texas, do they? But uh, President-elect Donald Trump's recent tweets criticizing the F-35 program is causing a little consternation here in Texas because, you see, the F-35 program, Lockheed Martin, is in Fort Worth. What's the Fort Worth? <laughs> well, if it's got F-35 airplanes in it, it's worth billions. Anyway, New York's got Wall Street. I mean, you know, West Virginia has coal. Los Angeles has Hollywood. Fort Worth has F-35s. I used to work there for Bell Helicopter at one, one point in my life. 
But for more than a decade, this aircraft has surged the economic lifeblood of the west side of Fort Worth where they make them. The F-35, however, is rather unpopular elsewhere in the country because cost overruns had scheduling overruns, meaning everything costs more than they said it would, and everything takes longer than they said it would. Two things are bad. As a guy who has for many years run a contracting company, low-voltage contracting company, I can sympathize with both of those because occasionally you run into things that, well, you didn't expect. Uh... Sometimes you just have to eat them. Well, they don't do that. Apparently, Lockheed Lockheed Martin, they just go to the government saying, we need more money, more money. So, unfortunately, Lockheed Martin and Fort Worth are now in the crosshairs of President-elect Donald Trump. And Rep. Mark Vesey, a Fort Worth Democrat, Vesey rhymes with Greasy, Fort Worth Democrat, He's worried. He said, it was something that I would say sent chills through the people that work here at the Lockheed Martin plant. Republicans that are longtime proud Fort Worth residents, he added, it's got something for everybody's ear here. It started last month when Donald Trump tweeted the F-35 program. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.